the comments on 35 years in UK prison part one. Wow. People just so gripped and cannot wait for this part two. So we have expedited it. <laughs> you brought it to light. <laughs> I've got all these pages of notes. We did three hours something. And I think we're only on the second page. So it's going to be a long one, folks. But if it goes as fast as the last one, we're going to get into the hard hitting prison stories as well on this one. So it is going to be mental. Huge thank you for coming back on, Joe, and for giving me a signed copy of your book. You're more than welcome. South London, Borstal Boys Tales. To Sean, cheers for having me on your podcast. Hope you enjoy my book. You're a top lad, and I wish you all the best. Joe Barnett, that's brilliant. Thank you. No worries. So, we left off then, where you'd done an armed robbery in your sister's car. She just let you take a car. She didn't know what was going to happen. And you were robbing, going around Brixton in taxis, robbing drug dealers at gunpoint and lowering them into taxis. Right, okay. Yeah. So what happens next? So, yeah, so basically, um, going back to that, 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 that one with uh, my sister, um, the police did come around and they did um, contact my sister and ask them who was using their car and where it was at a certain time. Um, and as luck had it, nothing come of it um they put it down as um someone had cloned the number plates on the car so basically um it was all left it's all left under the carpet and she got well i got away with it that robbery um allegedly anyway <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah sean from like, as i was saying from before um we was all living in um one flat which is in southwest london in Tooting. um Probably about 10 of us, maybe seven or eight of us, you know, all different times, different days. It was different, but it was all the same people. It was all our same lot. Um, we all had each other's backs um, and we all felt safe together as a pack, you know, and we, we felt untouchable, to be honest with you. We all had like machines, guns, and so we had no chance of anyone coming through our front door robbing us because... It'd be fatal for them, you know. Um, I'd be doing a life sentence for murder now because I, I would have shot them and killed them. Um, that's the frame. That was my mindset I was in at that time. Were you guys like laying low in this place or were you partying? No, we was partying. Yeah, we was partying, but we kept moving different houses. Um, we wasn't so much partying in the house, but we were staying, Sean. No, um, but we was using drugs in the house. Um, we did have different people coming in and out the house but we didn't have your music blaring and you couldn't come down here the front of the street and think, oh, look, there's a party up there, you know, one of them ones. So, <clears throat> yeah, we was we was laying low. Um, I was switching cars, switching bikes. Um, so uh, one afternoon, it was probably around three o'clock, we was just coming back to um, our location to where we were staying. There, we, there was three carloads of us, so it was all like three cars of us. Um, and we went up into the flat and one of the neighbours, which was two doors along, um, it was an Italian family. And sometimes, you know, um, there was elderly. So sometimes I used to come out and say, good morning. And do you need anything up the news agents? We used to get them newspapers and bits and pieces like that. We were on a friendly basis, on a first name basis. So we knew each other's names. Um, so this one afternoon, 
uh, as I'm going to mention, um, we went to put the key back in the front door to go in, and um, this little Italian guy, Johnny Short, bless him, but this little Italian guy ran up and he said, um, "Don't go in, don't go in." So obviously we wasn't going to listen to him. Not go, don't go in. We wanted to know what was going on in there, but he was saying um, the police have been round. Um, they've been sitting here all day long. Um, there was two ambulances with the police. There was armed police. There were snipers on the roofs, um, heavily armed. Um, and this was the this was the first time that I realised that I was really on my trail. I was on our trail because. We didn't listen and we went into the flat and the first thing what I see on, on the floor was a little memo, a little piece of paper with Metropolitan Police on it. And um, it even had the CID's number on the back of his little pad. So basically, um, we went into the flat and um, it had been ransacked. Uh, the mattress was up and you could see it had been raided. Um, and we lost uh, we lost a few machines. So there was a nine mil Browning and um, a semi automatic pump action shotgun, which we used on uh, bank jobs and post offices as as a scarer. Um, you know, it was a sawn off one, and it was like that. You know, I used to go in and blow the roofs out. Um, so <clears throat> because that was too hard, too um, conspicuous to carry a lot of the time, we kept it indoors when we went out and done our bits and pieces. So we only carried little handguns and pistols and revolvers and things like that. So uh, the first thing what I'd done is um, I went into the bedroom where the machine was, where the pump action shotgun was, and that was gone. Um, also, there was uh, bullets all over the floor, so they, they took a case of bullets and dropped some out. So, um, yeah, basically... Um, we come out of there and and I had a chat with the, the neighbour and he said to me, he said, look, they've been here all day. He said, they've only just left. So with that, we just up camp there and then, you know, left the front door open. We left all our stuff in there and that was it. We was gone. Do you know what I mean? Um, we didn't um, get arrested that time and they didn't catch us, but that was the first, that was the first sign to me that I was on my trail. Um, so we didn't stop. We didn't stop doing robberies. Um, we didn't stop going out, and we didn't stop what we was doing. Um, we wasn't too sure whether at that time they had us under surveillance because although they had our address where we were staying, they still didn't have our names. Um, they only had our MO, which was a map and offence. So. Um, just a brief description of how we looked, how we looked, um, and that's all they had on us. So at that time, we didn't get arrested. And we moved, we moved um, out of there, the flat in Tooting, and we moved to uh, another flat, which was in West Norwood in Southwest London. Uh, we, we moved into there. Um, I would like to say, Sean, on your podcast, look, although I'm coming across there's like a big hard bloke with a tattoo on my face, not giving a a shit, and and things like that. Not for one minute do I want to glamorise crime. Um, why I'm doing this is not for gain, Sean. I'd, I'd like to get that out clear. It's not for gain at all. It's for awareness um, so that other people don't follow my footsteps. And just by the title, 35 years in prison, there is a massive cost in terms of some of the best years of your life when you engage in this kind of behaviour. And our other mission statement on this channel, as well as end the war on drugs, start the war on predators, is 
don't get gangsteritis, kids. If you're a young person and you've watched all these music videos and movies that glamorize the lifestyle, you're going to hear the hard-hitting consequences today of what Joe had to serve in terms of 35 years in prison, where it is just raw survival and drug and gang-infested mayhem. <laughs> you, you wouldn't believe the stories, what was actually inside there, you know. Um, I've just handed Sean just the, the first page of my previous convictions um, and my aliases, just to make you aware of the convictions, what I've actually got, you know, um, because I'm sure quite a few people, like, say they've got this, they say they've got that, and really, they're just lying, you know. So that's one thing I'm not, is I'm not a liar. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the rest of it is just stuff from um, Charlie Bonson and, and things like, I've, I've been writing to him, he's been writing to me, um, we've been corresponding with each other. So the rest of it is um, obviously sitting guilds and a few other bits inside that folder too, Sean. Um, what yeah, you no, I'm looking at at least... 10 plus charges here, serious charges, firearms, shotguns, offensive weapons, miscellaneous offences, drug offences, offences related to police court, prisons, public disorder offences, fraud, theft, kindred offences, uh, offences against the person, offences against property, ranging from 1983 to 1999. That's correct, Sean. And that was actually the first... My first conviction, 1983. So um, my first time I was in prison, I think I said it on part one, was 1984, maybe 85, um, when I just passed a, just passed a year to get arrested, really. You know, 11, 12, 11, 12, I got arrested. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's uh, my pre some of my previous convictions. Um, so anyway, getting back to the story, Sean. So, yeah, we moved to this new house, uh, this new flat in um, Norwood, and we continued to reign... Um, we continued to go out um, robbing post offices, robbing banks. There was no point of us robbing anything minor because the money wasn't big enough and we'd be back out within a few hours doing more. So the bigger the robbery we'd done was the bigger the money we got and the least we had to go out and do more robberies. So it made sense to do big places. Um, what was your typical split and how long would it last on a good one? Split, what do you mean as in split, Sean? So like you go in, like maybe get 100 grand and then you'd have like five guys, so you got 20 grand each, something right, like yeah. that. Right, yeah. Depending on how many, we, how many went in on, on at the time, but we, we split it straight down the middle with all of us. So it was 50-50. Um, no one got less and no one got no one got more. It's just right down the middle. Um, what would you have classified as a good heist back then? This was in 1998, so between forty to 50,000 pounds we was getting. And how long would that last you? Um, maximum four days. Four days. Maximum. That's between that's that 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 would probably that's between like two or three of us. Um, Still. Yeah, we. I, I got up at the worst part of my addiction. Um, at the height of it, I was smoking a good. It started off at a thousand pound. It went up to anything up to five grand a day. Jesus. Um, it was getting that bad with me, Sean. That um. I was getting, one one day I was uh, smoking so much crack around my friend's house, like my head started to pulsate. And it wasn't just a headache. Um, I felt like they were saying in my head and it was just crash, it was throbbing mm. like that. So I, I, I thought, if I have another go of the crack pipe, that would take that pain away. So it didn't. So every time I had another lick of the pipe, it would make my head pulsate even more and more mm. and more. 
it was just this, it wasn't even a migraine. I don't know what it was, but it was so bad that I was called up in the corner of the room. You know, I had to be in the dark and I was just curled up like a. And that's another important lesson. The road of drug use is a very long one and people see the glitz and glamour in the beginning, but this is where it ends up, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. This is, you know, there's, there's nothing glamorous about taking drugs. Um, a lot of people would say like they smoke weed or skunk or cheese green um, and that's all, they were, that's all they're going to do. But, you know, a few years down the line, you want to try something else, then you want to try something else, and then you want to try something else, and you have it, and the addiction gets more and more and more. And at the end of the day, something's got to break, you know. You can't fund these lifestyles and these habits without having big, big things happen to you, you know. Um, either getting killed, getting shot, coming out of somewhere, a robbery, you know, or getting a life sentence, um, got to pay for it so dearly, you know. But at that time, Sean, to be honest with you, as I said in part one, <clears throat> it didn't bother me whether I got shot, whether I got killed, or whether I come out and with no money or with money. I mean, obviously, we went in there with intentions of getting money, but that's not the way it goes, unfortunately. You know, some, some robberies you do go into and they won't give out. I'll give you one, one for instance. Um, it was in Croydon, um, and it was just a little sub post office around the back street, so it wasn't a main one, just a little sub one. Um, and there's three of us on this, so we had two cars, and we had our ovals on, balaclava on, and I had my pump, pump action shotgun. Um, we've gone across the pavement, gone into the post office, straight away I blew the roof out, I let the roof, let, let one go in the roof just to let them know that I meant the business and I wasn't going out there without the money, you know. As far as I was concerned, Sean, what I was going in there for was mine. There wasn't no no. There, there wasn't no no. Um, someone couldn't say no to me. If there was money in there, I honestly thought it was mine. I deserve it. And whatever means, whatever means or ways it takes to get that, I'm going to get that. The consequences and everything else didn't even come into it. Um, unfortunately, you just, don't think about them things at the time. Um, so yeah, we uh, we reigned for a good a good few years. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't going around telling none of my family what I was doing, but I was very aware of it. As I said to you before, I've got a very close knit family, and you know um, they knew the guys what I was rolling with um, because they used to come around to my house when I was younger, um, when I was living with my mum and my stepdad. And they used to come in and my mum used to cook them dinner and things like that. You know, they was a few years older than me. Um, was it grooming? You know, it's only now I realise, you know, they was at least three or four years older than me. When I was like 15, I was 19, 20, I was still a minor, you know. I can't blame no one for my mistakes. I can't blame no one for what I've done and the way I've turned out in my life. You know, um, I'll take it myself. It's my... I made my own choices, um, and I did what I did to act to uh, to get through that big sentence. So we'll go on to that in a minute, Sean. So um, what happened was was we didn't have nothing to do, and one morning we woke up, and obviously we wanted more crack, we wanted more drugs. We was living in this new flat in Norwood with a few girls and a few mates. It was like party time, you know. The money had run out, Sean. Mm. 
and the girls were like sitting in the, sitting in the corner giving us daggers and expecting us to give them more crack and give feed them more feed their habits, you know. Um, and there was no one saying to, apart from my family, there was no one else saying to me or telling me what would happen or what could happen if these things come on top. No one was telling me things like this. Um, so I didn't give it no thought. It wasn't until years later on that I realised I'm so lucky to be even sitting here telling you this story. Um, especially after they raid our, our house with firearms. There were snipers on the roofs. Those waiting for us all day long. As luck had it, they, they must have thought we wasn't going to go back there and they left. Um, so we got away from there. So, yeah, so this, this one morning we woke up. Um, all our money had gone. We'd all, we felt washed out, you know. It's like, not, you don't know what it's like on crack, but it, not withdrawals. You don't get withdrawals from crack or cocaine. Um, you just get anxious um, and you want it. It's a very needy, very needy type of drug. So basically, you'll put one crack stone onto a pipe, you'll lick it, you'll smoke that, and the buzz will last you for about two minutes. And two minutes later, you want another one, and that's another £10. So I wasn't putting nothing on the crack pipe less than like an eighth, which is a 3.5 grams, do you know what I mean? Um, to get the same high, because as my addiction was progressing, um, I wasn't getting the same high as when I first started taking it. So I needed more money. Um, and to get, the, to get the money, we had to do big things. So this one morning in question, Sean, um, this is when it actually come on top for us when we actually got arrested so we didn't have nothing planned for that day um it was just a spur of a moment thing but all we knew is we had to go out and we had to get some money to, fu to fund our habits so um we was driving about um in three car loads of us three different cars the cars were um cloned so stolen with straight number plates on it we had straight number plates um off of another car and things like that, you know, cars. And we pulled up outside this little um, sub-post office in Wadham, in Croydon, it was. And for three, three of us, there was five of us, so three of us went in and there was two outside. So I was always the... F I, I, it didn't start out like this. Um, it started out with me, like, standing on the door. So my co-defendants, I won't mention our names, but it's on file some file I got arrested with them so I'm not going to mention our names yeah, no names they was going in first Sean and uh, at, at the beginning of it I was just holding the door I did I did have a gun in my waist but I was holding the door and I was keeping people off so that no one could come in and disturb us so it started off like that well the more the more rubberies I was doing the more game I was getting and the more confidence I was gaining um, I actually thought I was invisible I thought I was untouchable I thought no one can come nowhere near me. You know, um, if the police come outside and it comes on top, there's going to be a shootout. One of us is going to die. So that's the measures which I was prepared to go to for drugs and to fund that despicable lifestyle what I was leading at that time. Um, on part one, we, we did mention about um, losing my mum. In 96. So, yeah, my mum passed away. Um, and after that, as I said in part one, 
I didn't have nothing to live for. I didn't have nothing to to lose. Um, I just didn't care. So that's like when I, you know, I joined the gangs and that and started doing the robberies. But um, so yeah, this morning, sorry, Sean, I keep taking you off track. So this morning, gone inside there. I was the first one in these places now. I was eager. Um, I was also a driver. So the boys was in the back of the car and I was always driving because I was a shit hot driver. I used to steal mopeds and cars when I was younger. You know, and I got away for so many police chases, you know. I'll get back onto that story in a minute, but one story I want to tell you about before we go on to that one, before I forget, because my brain ain't too clever these days. Um, whether it's drugs, what's done me, killed me brain cells, I'm not too sure, but that's the case. So this one time I decided to go out on my own um, to commit an armed robbery. <clears throat> and it was in the middle of the summer, I remember it vividly. Uh, I think it was around 1997. Um, and I had a Yamaha R1, which is a 1,000cc motorbike. Um, and they get up to like 180s and 190s. And they get up to that speed in it's rapid. And to be honest with you, Sean, when you get on an R1, a Yamaha, <clears throat> it's like you're getting onto a mountain bike but with a 1,000cc engine underneath you. They're that light. That's why so many people have accidents and so many people die on these motorbikes, these R1 motorbikes, because they're so fast for how light they are and how small, you don't realise the speed you're getting up to. Um, so I don't know what made me do it this time. I might have had a row with a few of the boys in there and I said, right, go on, fuck off, I'm doing my own thing. I don't need you to to help me um, do robberies. I can go out and do, do them on my own. So this is what I've done. One afternoon, um, went up the A3, Cobham, past Cobham, and I found a little uh, bank, allegedly. I can't can't say too much because, um, for legal reasons. So anyway, um, I had a little 9mm Browning gun, revolver in my, um, in, inside my jacket. Um, it was just a little flimsy little jacket, not even a puffer coat, it was just a flimsy coat. And I had a pair of shorts on, and I had a pair of sandals on and I was riding this R1 motorcycle at high speeds up back streets doing 130s, 140s. Nowadays, it, I, I realise it, it would have only took a car or just a stone in the road to knock me off and at that speed I would have been dead. But anyway, cut a long story short, Sean, I went into this bank and as soon as I went into there, they, they had cameras outside so they'd see me go through, see me come through the door. Screen, the security screens have come straight down and the alarm, they've hit the panic button. I'm on my own and it, because I see the screen come down and I heard the panic button, it was really loud. My, my ass didn't go, but I knew I wasn't going to get nothing out of there because I was on my own. It was a spur of a moment. It wasn't planned. So I, after around 30 or maybe 40 seconds, everyone had disappeared in this bank. The, script, the screens were down. And it was like I was in the bank on my own. They locked the front doors. The front doors was locked, so I couldn't get out. So I was locked in with the sirens going, screens down, and the police on their way. This was it. I was going to get arrested. As luck had it, I had a full clip inside my gun. So I had to blow the doors off. I blew the doors off, and it blew a massive hole beside the lock with the handle there. And basically the door just crumbled. Um, all the glass went everywhere. I come outside. Um, I got onto my motorbike, which was parked right outside there. I mean, from here to there. And I left it running. 
I don't know why, but I did leave it running. If someone would have, would have like got on it and rid it off while I was in there, I'd have been right banging trouble, Sean. But you don't think about these things at the time. Anyway, the alarm's gone off. The scream has gone. I blew the front door out. I've got out. I'm on my bike. So I'm, I'm, I'm ragging this bike. I'm ragging the life out of it. And I can still hear the sirens. I've got onto the A3, which is in Cobham. And it's a big, massive dual carriageway. And I've looked in my rear, rear, rear mirrors on my bike like that. And I can see the blue lights coming up from behind me. And they're gaining, they're gaining space on me. They're picking up on me. They're, they're not catching me, Sean, because what happened was, is where I had sandals on and shorts on, I had my head down like that. And I was just opening this bike up to maximum speed. And I don't know what made me do it, but I looked at the clocks and it said 178 MPH. And I had sandals on. And a pair of flip-flops. 178 miles an hour I was doing. Something come over me and something said, if a pebble comes in the road, you're dead. It's going to throw you up the motorway like a rag doll. You're going to be in pieces. But because I could see the, uh, the sirens coming from behind me, it, there's nothing I could do apart from open this bike up and try and gain distance on them. Within a few... Within a few minutes, probably two minutes, the helicopter was up. So now, the helicopter's up. The police are probably about half a mile behind me on the motorway chasing me, but the helicopter is right above me. He's, keep, he's keeping up with me. Well, as you come off uh, on the A3 at Cobham, you've got to turn off. At this time, I was probably doing, coming down to about 130 mile an hour when I see this turn off, Sean. I quickly slammed it down, down through the gears, went onto my brakes a little bit and ragged the bike over off his turn off. How I didn't lose control, I'll never, ever, ever, ever know. But I got off his turn off. The police in the cars were gone, but the helicopter was still on me. There's no way I was getting away from it. So I fought. Anyway, come off his turn off and I've seen... Um, I seen a supermarket on the left-hand side, and it was Asda's. The helicopter's right above me. It's probably about 100 yards above me. And I don't know what made me do it. I've pulled into the, uh, well, wheel spinned into, you know, really fast into the car park. I've got off the bike, and I run inside Asda's. Get lost in the numbers then. I've run inside Asda's and to my surprise, it was absolutely packed with people. It was in the middle of the summer and I had a pair of shorts on and a pair of sandals. By now, I can just about hear the sirens coming to the supermarket. So I was running all around these aisles, all on my own. I don't know what I look like. But I was running up and down these aisles and I thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to get away? So, I went up to uh, the clothing aisle, I ripped the uh, alarms off a tracksuit, I put the tracksuit on, I left my helmet on the motorcycle out the front, I put the tracksuit on, I put a cap on, a pair of silly glasses, like sun splashing, a white, white pair of silly glasses, and I walked out of the supermarket, and as I walked out of the supermarket, it, this is no... Not exaggerating, Sean, there must have been 30 armed police 
armed. A helicopter was above me. And I walked straight out of this car park. I put my head down and I started singing to myself and I was skipping along the road. (laughs) 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 I know it's funny now, but, you know, that's the truth, Sean. And How How did you get out of the area? Basically, I got to the train station and I jumped on a train. I bunked the train and I got home. Um, got away from them. So this is not the end of it. So, around seven or eight hours later, I knew I'd left my motorcycle in the car park. And one of my friends, he said to me, he said, I'll tell you what, Joe, he said, let's have a little ride up to the car park. I said to him, are you completely stupid or something? You know, do you want to get me arrested? Do you want to get arrested? You know, it's, it's just been an armed robbery done and you want to go and check on a motorbike. And he said, yeah. He said, well, I won't get out. He said, we just go up into the car park as if we're going shopping. He said, you can even hide in the back if you want, you know. Um, so I'd done that. It was around seven or eight hours later, Sean. Um, we pulled up back into the car park and you'd never, ever believe it. The motorbike was still there. The ignition was still on and there was no police in the car park. To this day, to this day, I still can't get my head around why they didn't take that bike or how it didn't come on top, allegedly. But they didn't see me, actually, the police in the car didn't see me go into the car park. It was only the helicopters would see it. And there was a few other motorcycles in, in there. And I just, um, I had a clone number plate on the bike, so it wouldn't come back as a stolen when they CRO'd it on the computer, on their radios. It wouldn't come back. But uh, my friend, he actually said to me, he said, he said, it's all right, Joe. He said, there's no one here. He said, get on the bike. He said, I'm right at home. He said, I'll follow you up. As luck had it, I didn't do that, Sean. Do you know what I mean? Because that would have definitely got me arrested because no doubt whatsoever they was waiting for that bike. Do you know what I mean? They was waiting for someone to come back to that bike. But that was the mindset what we was all in at that time. And that was a, that was like a really heavy arm robbery because I let a shot off in the roof and everything. I did get arrested for it later on um, and I got charged and I got convicted of it. Um, of the, it, it come to seven arm robberies in the end. But um, that's just one funny story what I had, Sean. Wow. <coughs> so you're saying that was a detour then from the whole crew gets arrested? Yeah. That's most, what happens next. Most definitely. Yeah. So in the description box, please go down and support Joe. His links are down there. He's got a YouTube channel. He's got his book. He spent so much time with us. Um, we're not even got to prison yet. So please check his links out and support what he's doing. So sure, we we'll get back to, get back to the story. <clears throat> I think we might have to do part two, part three, and part four. To get down, to get down half of what I've got for you, Sean. Do you know what I mean? I've got some explosive stuff and some hard eating stories here. Um, but anyway, I, I, I'll get what I can get, what I can get in quickly while we've got time. Um, yeah, don't rush. We've got all the time in the world. Just, <clears throat> just, just keep giving us all the details. This is what people like. Right. So yeah. So where it was raining for so long, we was not getting cold. Um, we thought we was invisible. We thought we was untouchable. Um, no one could come nowhere near us. The robbery sprees were getting worse and worse and worse. And in the end, in the end, someone had something had to give. Either we got shot coming out of there or we got a life sentence. 
But at that time, Sean, we was all drug fueled. We was bouncing off each other. Um, you know, and there was no stop. There was no stopping us. Um, as I say, I'm not trying to glamorise crime, but that that's what drugs do to people. Um, they put you in the wrong mindset. It scrambles your decision-making processes over time and you don't realise it. And you think you're behaving normally, but you're actually behaving crazily. Yes, that's, that's, the, that's the truth of it, Sean. Um, and you surround yourself with people doing the same thing and it all just reinforces the madness. Yeah, it does. And it gives you more confidence, Sean, you know. Um, you just get more confident and confident as you go along. But when I first started taking drugs, you know, I was only... Um, probably 13, 14, uh, in the early 80s, 88, when the ecstasy come out, the Mitsubishis, the Californias, and we said about that in part one. I must admit, I'm not trying to glamorise ecstasy or acid, but it was a totally different buzz to anything, to crack or cocaine. Well, Wild Man in America, because we were like in the rave scene, and Wild Man gives me some crack, he says, try this. He says... It goes sizzle, sizzle, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. And um, I tried it. Like you said, that, that two minute, I'm like, what the fuck was that? It's just a rush, yeah. I could take ecstasy and smile and dance and yeah. just have a good night for four hours, five hours. And that shit just lasts fucking two minutes. And and your habit, your addiction gets worse and worse and worse. And it gets hold of you so quickly, you would never, ever believe how quick it gets hold of you. You know, when I first started smoking it, Sean, I was like most people that started smoking crack, washing it up, and I used to tell myself and, and everyone else what was around me, you know, I'm only going to smoke 20 pounds with a crack, 30 pounds with a crack, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop it. But that's really progressed really quickly, do you know what I mean? Um, it can we, reduce people very fast. They'll lose everything in the long run. Yeah, and that's what it done with me. It progressed rapid. Um, and... I liked it. The buzz was unbelievable. It's something out of this world. I couldn't explain it. Saying that, Sean, on another note, did I like it? Or was it just taking me out of the pain what I was going in, what I was in psychologically, mentally, the trauma, what I went through as a kid? Was I using this just to blank all them fears and emotions out? I just don't know. Do you know what I mean? But all I know is it, it got really fucking bad to crack. Um, so we'll we go up to uh, the part where we actually got arrested, Sean, yeah. when it come on top. Yeah. Um, just before we went on this robbery, a few days before, let's say a few days before we done this robbery, um, as I said to you in part one, we were going around to uh, different people's houses, friends' houses, and using crack and partying. So basically, um, we was going around to this girl's house, um, which was local from where we lived. Um, and we were going around there a few times a week, you know. Um, I am not going to mention our names or nothing like that because obviously legal reasons. Yeah, no names ever. But um, we, was going, we was going around there. And one one time, it was late in the night, I knocked on the door and she answered the front door. Um, we went in. I had a pocket full of crack, thousands of pounds worth of money. And like we was all... My, my co-defendants and a few of my gang members was with us up too. So there was about five of us at the time. We all went into this into my friend's house. We was doing fame there, um, and there was a guy laying on the couch in my uh, in this girl's house. 
And I asked the girl, I said, look, who's this guy in this, in, on your city? And she come up with some story and she said, um, he's a robber, he's an arm robber, the same as us. So he's come out of our neck of woods. He was in the game that we was in, in the same trade. Um, she said, he's an arm robber. Um, she said, he's burgled someone's house. Um, and the person's house who he burgled, they got a wind of who burgled their house and went back for repercussions. So basically they, um, they went back to this guy's house. And at the time he was living with his girlfriend and they just had a newborn baby. So the baby, I think was three months old maximum. Um, this is the story what he told us. So, uh, he introduced, she introduced him. I'll say his name's James. So she introduced, introduced James. I got talking to him and um, I said to James, I said, what's your story? How's you, how comes you here? What are you doing here? And this is the story, what he said to me. He said that he burgled someone's house. Um, they found out where he lived um, and they'd gone back around to his house a few days later, early hours in the morning. They'd kicked his front door in. He wasn't at home at the time, but his missus and his babe, newborn baby was at home. So basically, they kicked his front door in early hours in the morning, a firm of them, three, of, three or four of them, to look for him. So they kicked his front door in, and he wasn't in there, and they, got, they picked his baby up, his three-month-old baby, out of the cot, and they put his baby inside the washing machine, and they threatened to turn the power on in the washing machine and kill the baby if she didn't get him on the phone and get him back to the flat. So this was the story, what he told me, Sean, that he was on the run from the police for doing X amount of robberies and burglaries. They had his name and also this other firm um, had a vendetta and was, was, was going to kill him. So me being me, soft-hearted, I know I don't look soft-hearted, but I am, I'm really soft-hearted and I wear my heart on my sleeve, to be honest with you. Um, I believe this story. So I said, as it happens, Mert James, I said, um, we're going to do a robbery in a few hours' time on a post office in Wadham, which is Croydon. Two of my other, um, my other friends who was with me at the time tried to like, say to me, there's a bad smell about him. Don't take him. We don't know him. We don't trust him. But me being me, soft-hearted, I thought, no, I'm not having that. You know, I'm going to take him. Basically, um, quite a few members in my gang were Yardies, Jamaican. As I said previously, um, I was working with a lot of Jamaican guys. And um, the guy, what James, what we'd seen was white. So no favouritism, nothing like that, you know, but I did feel sorry for him, James. So I was arguing with my friends and I said, listen, he's one of our own and, you know, there's, there's no bad smell about him. I actually knew his family and my family knew his family. So he was local to me. I didn't know him in person, but um, I knew his brother and I knew his family very, very well. So 
there was no reason for me not to believe him, you know, because I knew him, Sean. Well, that morning, we set out to do this robbery on the post doors in Wadham. And this is when it come on top. So we'd gone inside. I was the first one in again, as usual, running in there. Let a shot off in the roof. James was in the car outside out the front. He was a getaway driver. That's all he ever was. He was never an armed robber, like what he was saying what he was later on when he got the sentence amongst chaps in category A jails. He was never one of us, no. But so um so yeah, we done this, we done this robbery. I went into I let a shot off in the roof and um the shutters come down, the security screen come down. There was a Chinese guy um in the post office at the time. He was the only person in there, along with the two people from behind the jump on the behind the cashier show. So the screen the screen's come down and I see this Chinese guy. So basically um I gripped the Chinese guy around the neck, you know, I grabbed him like that, pushed the gun into him, put it underneath his throat, and I said to the, the, the people behind the jump, I said, right, if you don't open the door up, I'm gonna blow his fucking head off. That is it. That's that was the words I said. If you don't open the door, I'm gonna blow his fucking head off. And I was, I would have. At that time, I would have. Luckily enough, I didn't because that would have got me a last sentence. But anyway, the people behind the uh, jump was Indian, an Indian family. Um, those, you know, not pensioners, but in their 40s and 50s. And to be honest with you, Sean, I'd actually been in there previously um, and cashed some money in there. So I, I, I half knew the layout type of thing. I knew where the safe was because I'd been in there a few weeks before and had a look at it. And I didn't have no reason to think that they wouldn't earn no money out. Do you know what I mean? Especially after I let a shot off in the roof, Sean. So I let the shot off in the roof. Screens come down. I grabbed the Chinese guy, put a gun underneath his chin, threatened the cashier. No way was they going to earn no money out. They would rather have me shot the Chinese guy then hand out a five-pound note. They was prepared to let that guy die. And that's heavy. You know, shutters come down, the doors got locked, and again, we had to blow the front, we had to, it was a double-glazing window, and I had to blow the whole lot out to get out of here. So, we was in there for probably around it felt like a fucking longer, but it was maximum two minutes, Sean. And I heard the sirens coming, so I knew it was on top. And we weren't going to get our money out of it. You know, they weren't going to end if, if they weren't going to end over for me putting a, a shotgun in someone underneath someone's chin, they're certainly not going to end over. That is it. So we run out of there like madmen. I got into. Um, me and my two friends got into one car with James driving. And there was another few lads in the first two cars, which is we always went on robberies together. Whether they come in or not, it was just a backup thing they come for, really, Sean, more than anything. So, yeah, um, 
would come outside. I heard the sirens going, and I thought we better go. So I come out. I said, James, put your foot down. I had a pair of overalls on, a balaclava, a pair of trainers, gloves. You couldn't see none of my face. You couldn't see nothing of me. You couldn't even see the colour of my skin. I was completely covered up. And I said, put your foot down. So we got in the back of the car, took all our clothes off, and underneath our overalls, I had a tracksuit on. Um, I grabbed the cap like this one here, me to this, put the cap on, pair of glasses. One of my other mates got out of the car. He said, let me out here. Um... Why, why? I said, why do you want to get out here? You know, you can hear the sirens going. Why do you want to get out here? He said, I want to split up. So he got out of the car. Um, we carried on um, with James driving with the blue sirens going and we could hear the police coming. So it was probably about a mile and a half, two miles away from um, from the actual robbery. I said, right, stop and let us out of the car. Um, it was on Hackbridge, um, which is in Surrey. And there's a, um, a railway bridge. So basically, I said, let us out, let us out. So we got out, me and there was two mates, there were three of us. So we got out of the car. Sirens were going, I could hear the wind from the blades of the helicopter coming. Do you know what I mean? Um, but at that time, I thought, because we got out of there, I've got changed, there's no way are they going to arrest me for this no way anyway I said to him drop me off at Hackbridge um, and we, we got out we got out of the car and we started walking across the bridge the helicopter what I heard the blades landed on a field which was about 100 yards away from where we was walking the helicopter but but Sean the guys in the helicopter hadn't seen us get out of the car. So, so I thought. So we just like went on as if nothing, as if we was going out for a day and we was like going out, just a few of us. So we started walking across this bridge. Within a few seconds of getting out of the car, I just remember really vividly the helicopter come down. Um, there was armed police everywhere. It was surrounded. We were surrounded. There was probably around 25, 30, please, they're all, all armed up. Get on the floor, get on the floor. Put all red dots all over us. Get on the floor. I weren't about to fucking run because they had red dots on us. Although I didn't care if I lived or died. You know, if I could help not getting killed, and obviously I would. So we got out. Um, previously, before we'd done this, I'd gone to a breakers yard in Croydon and I knew the guy what used to crush cars and he had a crane. And I'd said to him, when a car comes in, it's a Datsun. I said, when this Datsun comes in, I said, the, mi the, the minute it comes onto the scales, crush it, get rid of it. Um, and I'll give him under a pound or something like that. Sean, I'll give him a drink. So we thought, we've got out of the car. Our getaway driver's going to, like crushed the car, which was only a few miles away from the post office. So he'd have got there by within a few minutes or he'd have been there. Do you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, the police laid us down, um, armed up. So, um, three of us got arrested on the spot for this armed robbery. What just occurred around the corner. 
We've got we've got taken into um, Wallet and Police Station. We got held in there for a few days. Um, Barnes and Tower Bridge Flying Squad had come over to um, the police station where he's been held, and started like throwing loads and loads of different robberies at us. So at that time, I thought they've got nothing on me. All they've all they've got is me and me a couple of my mates walking across the bridge. Do you know what I mean? We're going to walk out of this. It's a holding charge. So we stayed in the police station for a couple of days, and um, obviously they didn't give us power because it was an armed robbery, and they put us into high down prison. Um, I can't really remember too much about the day I arrived there because I was coming down off of um, I was coming down off crack, so my emotions, my feelings, um, everything was everywhere, Sean. Um, so we basically we were remanded into high down prison um, for this one armed robbery. A few days into 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 the um, while I was in prison. Um, Barnes Flying Squad and Tower Bridge Flying Squad had come up and interviewed us about a load of other robberies that had taken place. So we went no comment. We just knew, don't ever talk to the police, you know. And if you do, they're going to use that against you in the court and they're going to trip you up on each, on your statement. So basically, if I wrote a statement and my other Cody wrote a statement, they'd, if, if, if the stories didn't tally up, They'd use that in the court, and that's enough to find you guilty. So that's why a load of people go no comment in, in on interview. Um, so I was not buzzing, but I had a little spring in my step. You know, I was in Idan prison. I was category A, so I couldn't get no visits. Um, I couldn't have no phone calls. And when I did get visits and I did get phone calls, they had to be... Um, vetted by the police. The police had to go around to their addresses. They had to check they got no previous convictions, that they checked their address, their name. If they had a previous conviction, even one previous conviction, they wasn't allowed to visit us because we was category A. Um after about a week of being in there, the police had been out a few times and questioned us about all these loads of different robberies. We still thought we were going to get away with it. In the meantime, I still had friends coming up to visit me in prison, bringing me crack up on a visit. So I thought they were friends. So I couldn't get away from it, Sean. Outside, I was smoking it. And inside, because I had such a big reputation and such a big name, they was bringing it in. So I was getting it inside. And we was partying. We was partying inside, high down prison. Two men in the cell, double cell. I was getting like a quarter ounce of crack on visits. Fucking roof was terrible. But anyway, cut a long story short, uh, Sean. What happened was, was after about a week or maybe two weeks, we got our depths and our statements from our solicitors. And I couldn't believe what I was reading. I could not believe it. If I could have died on the spot, I would have died. Um, James, who, who I thought was staunch, and he told me that story about his baby being 
put in a washing machine, he'd gone Queen's evidence. Um, I read in the statements that he was a paid informer. So from the get-go, he was a paid informer. From the get-go. From the off. And because the police didn't have our names and our, our date of birth or anything like that, but they knew we was active, but they couldn't catch us, Sean. What they'd done, sneakily, that he put this informer into my friend's house. Was she in on it? I don't know up to this day. Up to this day, I don't know. Because she moved, she moved to Ireland. So, I don't really know, Sean. But yeah, um, I read the depths, read the statements, and I couldn't believe what I was reading. Um, Jamie said that um, we kidnapped him, um, we held him to ransom, um, I put a gun to his head, I was making him smoke crack, he was too scared to get away from us because of we was going to go and kill him, we'd kill him if we found him. I knew his family and things like that, you know. He'd gone, he'd gone Queen's evidence against us and, and when the police, the flying squad was coming up seeing us, there's so much information on us and so much intelligent, intelligence on us. It was unbelievable. The intelligence. They had us for like seven different armed robberies. Um, they questioned us for lot. They questioned us for probably around thirty or forty. And were your co-defendants mad at you because you co-signed for him? Yeah, yeah. There was, they was mad. Yeah, but it. They knew that it wasn't my fault, you know. Obviously, I didn't want to go away neither, but so they didn't like really have a go at me or anything like that. But they did have a go at me in words, Sean. They said, Look, we told you, you know, there was a bad smell about him. We told you from the off, don't entertain him. Do you know what I mean? It was too much of a coincidence. How all of a sudden you're going in your mate's house and he's just landing on the couch, coming up with some cock and, bull, cock and ball story about he'd burgled an house and so yeah, um, they uh, they charged us with seven armed robberies, um, and we was in high down for the first few weeks, um, and then they categorised us. When they got all the intelligence, they've got all the charges. They put the convictions on us. Um, they they put us on the category A conditions in, and they moved us out of high down. Um, they've moved us to Belmarsh um, and put us in um, on house block four, which is the Cat A, Cat A conditions. Um, Isn't that where Assange is now, Belmarsh? Who's your? Julian Assange. I'm not too familiar. I think they moved him to Belmarsh. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there were some high-profile high guys in there, you know, and when I went in there, Sean, because I was only 28, a lot of the people, a lot of your inmates in there was like doing very long sentences, lifers and up for big arm robberies, you know. And that was, I don't know, I was like a, I was taking it for a joke. I still, I still didn't realise how, how long a sentence I was going to get. And we was having banter in there. We was having a laugh in there. And I was fucking partying in there, you know. I become a prison tattooist. Um, I ripped a Walkman apart, the little motor out of a Walkman. I got a biro pen. I put the um, the uh, motor off the Walkman on the end of, 
melted the toothbrush like that. So the toothbrush is like that. I put a little motor on top of there. I put a biro pen down there and I had a paper clip. And I was uh, sharpening the paper clip up off the wall. Concrete for a pin. And I was, I was becoming a prison tattooist. What about ink? The ink, the ink was getting stolen from the education um, department out of the printers. So <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people was getting banned out of the education for like, because they had, they had metal detectives down there, Sean, like, because it's the category A. And a lot of, lot of people was getting caught coming back with ink cartridges and things like that. Um, because what I said to him, I said, look, if you get me an ink cartridge, I'll do you a free tattoo. I could be there all day and all night doing a tattoo on them, but that was, that was, that was, that was the plan. Do you know what I mean? So I become a prison tattooist and all the hierarchy, um, high profile inmates at that time in there loved me, you know, so I thought, um, and he took me on as one of their own. Do you know what I mean? And it was like going, it was like coming off of the street and going into like a, a college of crime or like a youth, youth club or something like, you know, it was never, it didn't, it wasn't a deterrent for me. Because there was so much hype around us. Because um, we had quite a few cases and we was known as like blaggers armed robbers, old school armed robbers, ones that go across the pavement, you know. You get treated in there, even by the, by the screws or the inmate or the um, officers, whatever you want to call them. You get treated by them with a bit of respect. They look at you and they see your record. They see what you're in for. And, you, you know, they give you, they give you a cold... They turn red the other way, do you know what I mean? So, so yeah, um, after a few weeks of um, being in Belmarsh, um, we had seven armed robberies. We were charged with seven armed robberies. It was like four banks and three post offices. I mean, there was loads more. There was probably about 20 or 30 of them, Sean, but um, what, they, what, what the police were trying to do with us is um, they were trying to clear their books up. Um, and it was the flying squad, Barnes and Tower Bridge, and they was both arguing with each, with each other over your jurisdiction. Who was going to have us? That was like, I remember one day, they'd come up and visited me while I was in Belmarsh, and um, they said they was going to take me out for a day to um, ask me to point out a few of the different robberies, what I did. So what we used to do, all us in, all us old, old, um, whatever, blaggers or whatever you want to call us, we all know, we all know the game is this. When the police want to come out, come up to prison and take you out to, to point out all these different jobs, what's been done, yeah, all they're doing is they're clearing their books up. Do you know what I mean? So what I was saying to him was, I, I was saying, yeah, I can remember I'd done a couple, like, in Sandra's head, but I can't really remember where they was. I knew what I was doing. I was never going to tell him. But what they was doing is they was taking us out, giving us Kentucky and McDonald's. And where we was in prison, Sean, it was like a day out for us. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> a fucking day out for us. It's just all, at that time, it was just all fun and games to me. Do you know what I mean? Um, whilst I was in there, in Belmarsh, there were some really high-profile names in there, like um, Charlie Bronson, who I've known for donkey's years. Um, what was your first meeting with him like? The first meeting with Charlie, we was, I'm sure it's back in the early, early 90s or the late 80s, um, was in Wandsworth Prison. 
and I was only um, a young offender at that time. So he was he was a bit older than me. But um he was walking about on the landings like um he was big and he was training. But at that at that time he wasn't really um notorious like he got later on in life, you know, um like all the hostage taking and all that crap. So yeah, the first first time I see him was I was only young. Um didn't really take much notice of him. All I knew is he was big, he was strong, he was powerful. Um the screws were very wary of him. They knew the power he had. Uh, he'd probably knocked out a few screws before, do you know what I mean? But um, Did you see him doing any damage over the years to the guards? Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. Um, in Whitemore, when I got my big sentence out on the exercise yard, um, there's, there's the three different cages, and you can only go in one cage at a time, all of you. So um, I was in one cage. Um, Charlie was in another cage and um, there was someone else in another cage. I forget his name. Franny Pope. It was a guy called Franny Pope. And he, he was an arm robber and he was from Bethnal Green, East London. And um, he was arrested with uh, another very good, notorious name and his name was Charlie Tozer. Um, they're old school blaggers from East London. Used to specialise in security work and things like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, so you saw Charlie do some damage at that one. Yeah. Yeah. In, um, in Whitemore, we was out on the yards and I think they tried to get him in or call time or something like that. Do you know what I mean? And he, he said, no, no. He said, give me another five minutes. He said, I'm, I'm talking to a few of my mates. And we was, we was talking to him at that, in between the cages. Do you know what I mean? And they, they, they went away. The screws went away, you know. A few minutes late, they come back and there, was, there must have been fucking 15, 20 officers there, Sean. Do you know what I mean? All in right stuff, all like padded out and right shields and like run up to him in a cage and stand back and face the wall and drop down to your knees and just fucking bundled him into a corner, do you know what I mean? And wrapped him up, do you know what I mean? And took him back into the segregation unit. Um, but, uh, we used to talk to him all the time, like because we was a few cells along. So we used to talk to him all the time, and he used to cry. He was emotional, and he's not what everyone thinks he is. Do you know what I mean? He really ain't. Yami yeah, gave us a few stories of him knocking out guards and prisoners. Did you ever see any of that? No, no, no. I didn't. No, I didn't see that at that time. No. Um, I just see the, uh, I see the Mufti squad and the security squad bending him up and like a chicken, you know, wrapping him up and throwing him in his cell and I was also aware of like every time they opened his door you know there was like he was on an eight man unlock they wouldn't open his door up unless there was eight of them at, at a time to let him out you wouldn't treat an animal like the way they treat him to be honest with you Sean and, and that who was the other big names at Belmarsh then? Um, Frankie Fraser was in there Charlie Cray um, Charlie Cray was in there in uh, 1998-99 um, he just got 12 years put for conspiracy to supply class A cocaine so he was in there and I got really friendly with him because um, I was on the cleaners um, and Charlie wanted to get a job on the cleaners because that meant you were out of your cell a few more hours than anyone else and it was at that time it was a good job in the prison to have on the cleaners you know and I got him on the cleaners. 
uh, with me. I got him a job on the cleaners, Charlie. And I remember one time, like, going in his cell and he had, like, all pictures of Barbara Windsor and loads of different famous pictures up on his, all around his wall, stuck up by a toothpaste and things like that. And uh, it's funny because uh, I'm not too sure if it is Frankie Fraser or his boy. I think it was his boy. But his boy's name Frank and all. He was in there. And apparently, there was a bit of beef with him outside from years ago. I don't know what happened, but I, this is not a lie. You know, um, Charlie said to me, I was speaking to Charlie one day, and he said, look, he said, don't ever have him in your cell, or don't, don't bring him around me. When, I don't know what happened between them, do you know what I mean? But there was a bit of rift between Charlie Cray and Frankie Fraser. I don't know what it was. But they never spoke, do you know what I mean? Well, um, weren't they rival gangs on the streets? Possibly. Possibly. And they, it wasn't forgotten, do you know what I mean? They just wouldn't talk to each other. Um, so, yeah, Charlie was in there. Um, Razor. No, Razor Smith. Yep. He's one of my very, very good friends. I've known him a long, long time. Um, going from outside, uh, there used to be like a... Um, a rockabilly uh, disco in the back of a pub, just local to where I used to live, and he was a rockabilly. And um, I used to see him in the rockabilly place, so I knew him from outside and, and inside. So I know, know Razor really well. He's doing really well at the minute, Razor. Tell you what, his book, that first chapter describing the robbery, absolutely breathtaking. Is that a few kind words and a loaded shot shotgun? Yep. Yeah. Brilliant yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. He wrote that while, whilst I was with him, Sean. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but when you're in prison as an inmate, you're not allowed to write and publish books. So you're not allowed to um, make any type of earnings while you're in jail. Because the way they look at it, you're under punishment and you shouldn't be earning no money. So you're not allowed to write no books. But Razor, what he was doing, he, uh, I, think, I think it's a piece of A3. Is that A3, Sean? Yeah. So it was pieces of A3. And every now and then I was going into his cell. I used to go in his cell all the time because I knew him outside. We used to have a cup of coffee and a chat and that. Sean's one of my mates. But um, he was always writing. And one time I said to him, I said, Razor, what are you doing, mate? And he said, I'm writing my first book. So I said, how are you going to do that? And he said, don't worry about that. He said, this, I'm going to get my first book out. And later on I, I, I realised how he'd done it. Um, he was writing like, say, um, 20 pages at a time and he was putting R37A on it. Um, basically, that's a solicitor's letter. The screws and the sensors are not allowed to open up solicitor's letters. Yeah, I did something similar. I was writing in Arizona and I sent it out through the British Embassy mail. Yeah, they're not allowed to open it. They're not allowed to censor it. Yeah. It's a little... It's a little loophole, a little gap in the, in the prison system. I'm sure nowadays they've, they've sussed it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But um, he didn't make he didn't make no money whilst he was in prison out of that book anyway, Razor. Because I don't think he got published until he got out. It takes a while anyway to get it published. It takes yeah. years. Nicky. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, I was in Belmarsh. Um, as I said, there was Razor, Charlie, uh, Frankie Fraser, um, Stevie Gillen. Oh, yeah, great guy, Stevie Gillen. Yeah, yeah. We've had him on the podcast. Yeah, monkey, the monkey puzzle tree. He was, yep. he was in there. Yammy. Yammy, we've had him on the podcast. 
Yummy, you know, um, I've known Yummy for donkey's years, you know, young offenders, ball stores, detention centres. And for some reason, Sean, every time I go away, I bump into Yummy. <laughs> it's never outside, it's always inside I bump into Yummy. <laughs> but I love Yummy a bit, she knows I do and all, do you know what I mean? He just radiates like this positive energy and he's always smiling. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. a great guy. He's, Great guy. It's, it's nice to be around him because it just rubs off on you. You want to smile a lot and it makes you happy. Yeah. He had the record for our longest ever podcast at one point. Until recently, actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Four hours, 10 minutes he did. He's got loads of stories, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And he's doing good on his own channel now as well. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I subscribed to his YouTube channel mm -hmm. the other day. He's uploading quite a lot on it every day. Yeah. Um, prolific. I wasn't aware um, he had an accident, but I. He told me um, mm. a few weeks ago, I spoke to him when I was, um, well, it wasn't a few weeks ago, it was in the summer, fucking hell. Um, in July, I was at Dave Courtney's, uh, one of his birthday bashes. And um, I think I might have phoned Stephen Rafe or something like that because um, I was trying to get my book published. So I was trying every avenue I could to try and get my book published, the first one. Um, and Yami's number come up, so I'll give Yami, Yami a, a bill. And this is the first time I spoke to him, like last summer. And he was full of beans, you know, he was really happy to see me out and see me doing well and that. And I got a lot of, lot of time for him, Yami. Good yeah, stuff. Good guy. Good stuff, yeah. Yeah. So, um, where was we, Sean? Belmarsh. Yeah, Belmarsh, um, category A conditions. Unsentenced. You've got seven armed robberies. Yeah, unsentenced, right. So I was on remand with my other co-defendant for 13 months um, to go to trial um, in the London Crown Court for time of seven armed robberies with firearms. And uh, I don't know what made me do it, Sean, but on the day of my trial... No, sorry, let me rewind a little bit. Let me rewind. Let me rewind. Right. We had a plea bargain with the judge and the husher of the court um, that if we plead guilty to times three armed robberies, the other four will get dropped because they didn't really have much evidence on the other four, but they had a lot on the three. So... I, we accepted that plea, bar, plea bargain, um, and I, I remember a lot hiring a few solicitors, and the solicitor was saying to me, um, running up to the running up to the trial, was saying, um, you know, you're going to get a life sentence with probably a ten year tariff, but it's definitely going to be a life sentence, you know, because there's a few armed robbers with firearms, and I definitely didn't want that. I was trying to get a, um, a straight sentence, a double-figure sentence. I didn't want to get fucking a life sentence. L-plate. L-plate's around me. So this went on, this went on and on, on, and I sacked about three or four different solicitors until I got the results what I wanted to get. Look, on the last one, this solicitor said, look, listen, he said, um, if you plead guilty to three, we're going to get you, a, it's, it's not going to be a single figure, it's going to be a double-figure sentence, but you will not be getting life. And that's what we wanted, you know what I mean? So 
There wasn't no trial because we'd done that plea bargain on three and we pled guilty to three armed robberies. Um, so we wasn't taken on trial like every other day um, having like um, the jury and all that. We didn't have none of that. Um, it's around 13 months and we went to a uh, inner London Crown Court for sentencing on times three armed robberies. I, I was very like, sound angry is a fucking understatement because James the Grass, who grassed me up, grassed us up, was downstairs in the court below the courts, like a few cells along, tormenting us. Do you know what I mean? Tormenting you? Tormenting me and my other co-defendants, really tormenting us through the doors. Do you know what I mean? Why would he do that? Just saying, you made me do this. This was nothing to do with me. I was scared of you. You're now going to get a life sentence. He was really tormenting us. Fucking asshole. Yeah, and he was. A few, we couldn't get to him because he was a few cells along, and it was obviously on our on our files. Look, we we must never ever meet in the system because where he's gone to Queen's evidence, there's there'd be repercussions. Do you know what I mean, Sean? Do not house together. Yeah, it's yeah. one of them ones. Yeah. So the story's about to get crazy. Do you remember? We um, mentioned cabs the other week. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Jesus Christ. It's a mad one, yes. I'll never forget it because I've got a big scar across my kneecap. I don't know if I can show you. Wow, yeah. Yeah. I keep my kneecap like that one and, and the other side too. So you're going to court. He's taunting you. Yeah, he's talking to me down in the courts and like, I'm with my co-defendant, so I'm really angry. I want to fucking, I want to repeat, I want to kill him, Sean, do you know what I mean? I'm sure if I did get hold of him at that time, I would have. I would have got a life sentence for it, do you know what I mean? It's one thing to snitch it out, but then be taunting you. Yeah. Wow. Really taunting us. So, um, the judge was like doing his summing up, Sean. Can't really remember too much about it, but he was he was banging on and saying, You're a danger to the public, you're a threat to society. Um the public need a very, very, very long break from the likes of people like you and your gang. Um and we're gonna give you a very, very long custodial sentence. Make me go cold thinking about it, Sean. So anyway. What would you do in this situation, James? <laughs> Wait till you hear what he does. <laughs> Being a duck like that, shaking. So anyway, just there's three of us, um, three of us in the dock, and the judge had a pair of glasses on. He's reading, he's looking down like that, and he just passed sentence to one of my co-defendants. And he said, well, I'm giving you uh, 13 years. Um, 10 years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. It mounted up to about 150 years on each one of us. But it was to run concurrent. So, yeah, um, my Cody got 13 years. I don't know why me do it. But because at the door, because we're not like category A, Sean, at the doors, at the courts, there was jails on each door on the exits. And they weren't small, there was lumps. Because they knew we was category A, we had firearms, and we was up for a fucking heavy charges. There's no way that they want us to get out of that courtroom. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Nip me talking about it. It's making me go fucking cold. 
<laughs> just a mad bond, Sean. So he's passed 13 years to uh, my co-D. He passed 15 years to another one of my co-Ds. So one got 13, one got 15, and he's just about to pass sentence to me. So he's likely if he's, he's reading the paper, he's going down all your previous convictions, and this is right, Mr. Barnett. And as he said, right, Mr. Barnett, we was like, the dock was pretty high up. So like, it's probably about a 10 foot jump to the floor. You're high up. And you've got two two doors in, in the London Crown Court. You've got a fire, one like what comes into the court, and you've got one that goes beyond the court. And as he, as he's past sentence, something something come over me and something said, "You've got to, you've got to, you've got to get away. You've got to fucking run. Try your best. You're not going to see daylight for a very long time, yeah. So you've got nothing at all to lose. <laughs> one of them mindsets, Sean. Do you know what I mean? And as he passed sentence to me, me other two said my name. I didn't think nothing or so. I didn't even give it no fault. I've gone bump. I've jumped the dock. <laughs> so I've jumped the dock. I've jumped the dock. I've looked in front of me and I'm seeing these security cord. He's like running up to me. I'm running all around the courtroom like this. The judge has disappeared out the back. He's gone. So I didn't even get a sentence. He's gone. He didn't want nothing to do with it. The judgment's gone. <laughs> the other two codies are like, what's that? Because I didn't tell them, Sean. Pure spontaneous. Yeah, just didn't tell them. It wasn't planned. They didn't have a go of jumping. Nah, they just stood there. Two of them just stood there. So bang, I'm over. These, these big fat security court guys, they're running all around the courtroom for me and I'm running across the tables, all across, I've jumped, like, you know the, uh, the judge? I'm running all across his fucking table to get away from them. Was the people down there at one point and they it, just run off? It was absolutely packed. The courtroom was packed. You had like all the press in there and you had armed police in there, Sean. Secu uh, security, security. You're court. running around the table. I'm running around the tables and they're all chasing me. I've looked at the exit door. I didn't, because I'd never been in this court, I didn't know the layout. All I could see is a door, what, come, what you go out of, come in to the courtroom. I see a big secure court guy, and I was only small, about 10 stone, skinny, but where I've been in, in Belmarsh, I was training down the gym, so I was pretty fit. I was like doing cross mile runs and cross country runs and doing loads of CV. And, so I was fit as a fucking fiddle to be honest with you. And um, I looked at the exit door as I was still getting chased and I see this big guy there and I thought, right, you've, that's the door you've got to go through. So the geese is double my size, you know what I mean? And I'm running around this fucking courtroom and all of a sudden, I've gone, like, bang! I've just rugby tackled into him, <laughs> gone into him, he's gone over, <laughs> I've gone over with him. I've got back up, all the police are running out and all of a sudden, I've started running down this big, long corridor and I've come to a big set of swivel doors. I can't believe my luck. I'm looking out on the street. <laughs> the street's there, Barrow High Street. So, I can't get through these swivel doors quick enough. As I've got, from, as I've got into the swivel doors, you know, like, you've got cubicles in swivel doors. 
they would follow up the police. And I was in one on my own, and they was all behind me, around these cubicles. Oh, <laughs> they catch me. It was like a fucking comedy thing. Like, carry on the buses or something like that, Sean. Fucking comical, mate. But I still didn't know what I was going to do. Do you know what I mean? I just thought I'd get away. <laughs> so, next thing, I'm running down this Danny steps. I'm out the front of the court. I've started sprinting. I'm running up Borough High Street. I've looked behind me. They're probably about 20 yards, 30 yards. Big, big old fat security call. They ain't keeping up with me, Sean. I'm gone. I'm fucking Go gone. Whip it. Yeah, I was like, I'll whip it. I was gone. Anyway, I've run for probably around a mile and a half, two miles. And I got to a big roundabout um, in Elephant and Castle. So I've looked over the roundabout and I've seen a, a train station in the underground. So I headed for there. And as I've run across the road, I didn't see it come. I really didn't see it come. It done me by surprise. I see it at the last second. But as I'm running across the road, I've noticed a black taxi. And this black taxi is heading straight for me. And I, I thought, he ain't going to hit me. Is he? No way is he going to hit me. Because as far as I was concerned, he didn't know what I was doing. He was just going to work. He's a black cab, cab driver, Sean. Do you know what I mean? I didn't have a clue. Anyway. Bang, he's done me. Took, took both my legs out. I'm on the floor. He's fucking covered in blood, do you know what I mean? And um, three jailers and secure corps got out of the black back of the taxi and nicked me and put me in handcuffs in the middle of like Elephant and Castle. So basically, they'd flagged, him, flagged the taxi down from outside the court and said, right, He's up there. You can see him. Put your foot down and catch him. But because I was I was run, I was fast. I got up to the roundabout. But so yeah, um, I remember like, they got me on the floor. Um, that they take me down to the uh, hospital and get me all stitched up, and uh, that they, they couldn't sentence me on that day because now I jumped the dock. <laughs> he, <laughs> he wasn't the judge. What was sentencing me? He's not powerful enough now to sentence me. And he's a fucking Crown Court judge. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I couldn't fucking believe. My solicitor wrote to me and said, look, Joe, uh, you've been charged with escape. Escape from lawful custody. Um, but was the cameras in there? Did they film you what you did? No. Oh. No, no, I don't know, Sean. Yeah, imagine, I've never checked. imagine being that on headline news. It was in 1999. They had CCTV out in and they had the local gazettes and newspapers and, and all the film all the film people, the film crew was inside the court because it was a high profile case. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it probably was. But um Yeah, so I got got arrested for that. Um they charged me with escape. Um me two other codies, one got 13, one got 15. They, they'd gone back to Belmarsh. We all gone back that night. And um, they got took out remand. I was convicted. And I got through reception and I said, go in that room over there. So I said, what do you mean? My mates are over there. And they said, no, 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 go in that room. You've got to put a, you've got to put a set of overalls on. I still didn't have a fucking clue what it was. And he's handed me um, a jump, like a, a jumpsuit with a zip up the middle. 
yellow and green is E-man, so it's called an escape piece. So, so, so now I'm on the book. I'm category A, and I've got escape on my record. Um, I went out to uh, the judge. Couldn't sentence me because I was obviously jumped over his dock. Whether they was too scared to put me in that court again, I don't know. But my solicitor actually told me there's only one court in the land what can hear any trials for escape, and that's the Old Bailey. Not there's good. no other court can hear, 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 hear an escape. Not good. And hold an escape. So I went to the Old Bailey. I went in court 13. Um, I was lucky I only got 12 years, do you know what I mean? Combined with yeah, your, I, with your I've robberies. Got, yeah, I've got six, I've got six years... Um, Fucking sick you. I've got 11 years, six months for times three armed robberies. And I got, sorry, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, no. Yeah, it was. And I've got six months consecutive for the escape. So wow. it took me up to 12. It's really lucky. So, yeah, I was lucky. Yeah. Now, and not to get a life sentence, Sean. What, what, because I sacked a few solicitors. Do you know what I mean? They was all coming, coming back to me saying, no, 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 you've got to get, a, you know, a life sentence because of, um, it's a few different strikes. And the two strike law thing was in, and do you think that that was because you wasn't out for very long? If if you'd have been on the run for months, you would have got more time. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, because they got you quite fast, didn't they? Yeah, they did really. I mean, yeah. I know we said we was at it for a long time, but eighteen months, two years. I mean, we done we done hundreds of robberies in that eighteen months, two years, Sean, allegedly. But, you know, um, yeah, I've got 12 years. Um, my other Cody got 13, another Cody got 15, and the grass, James, he got six years. Um, but he still got six years. So he was still in his system, do you know what I mean? Um, went back to Belmarsh, sentenced. Um, was in Belmarsh for around, because I met Yami in there then. Because he couldn't believe it when I come back from court. He said, fucking hell, Joe. He said, you've been in court in your civvy clothes and you've come back in an escape suit. He said, what's going on? <laughs> I mean, no one could believe it. <laughs> anyway, so I was in Belmarsh, category A, in an E-man suit. And I was, named, I was known as one, one game little fucker. Anything that happened on that wing, it was me, to be honest with you. Um... One of my friends um, from Peckham, South East London, rest in peace now, he's dead. His name's Tony Nix. Um, he's a mixed race guy. He was in there at, at the time and all. And um, one of the screws who I'd got familiar with, and started calling me by my first name in the end, but that was, le that was leaking information to me, uh, Sean, who the paedophiles were. So it was a hit list flying about. Um, we called it the hit list. And the screws were telling me who the paedophiles were. One guy come in and he was a paedophile. And the screws had told me, I got I even got a print out of his name, his, his conviction, his sentence. Like the screw put it underneath my door, do you know what I mean? Um, because the screws knew that I was staunch and I wouldn't grasp no one up and I wouldn't say where it come from or nothing like that, Sean. They used to use me as a fucking guinea pig, to be honest with you, do you know what I mean? Any paedophiles come in, I was contracted out to do these paedophiles. And what kind of things would allegedly happen to the paedophiles? Yeah, so allegedly, yeah. Um, 
well, I did get pulled in for one. Um, what happened was, was uh, there was um, a guy in and he was doing, he just got nine years um, and he was in for, sorry, he didn't get nine years. He was on trial. He hadn't been a court. That was right. His name is Neil. Can't say his surname. But yeah, his no name surnames. No his surnames. name is Neil Sean. So anyway, I got the information from a screw that he'd killed his nan. He held her body in his flat for a week and he put all candles around the outside of her and he was having sex with her when she was dead while he was smoking crack. So his charges were nectophilia, murder, um, kidnap, false imprisonment, all the fucking lot. is his nan. His own nan, Sean, do you know what I mean? <sighs> I actually felt obliged to do these people. I thought it was, I, in the end, I, I believed it was down to me to do these people because that's justice, do you know what I mean? That was getting, I was giving them justice for what they put people through outside. Convict justice. Convict justice, do you know what I mean? So on this one occasion, occasion Sean, he was the biggest guy, he was a lot bigger than me. But I'd got the information the night before from the screw and I went up to one of my friends, Tony, and I said, look, Tony, I said, there's a guy in here, he's a right fucking naughty one. He needs really serving up. I said, do you mind standing on the door while I go in there and do him? So I had a tin of tuna in a sock wrapped up, right? But I had an escapee suit on. And house block four is CCTV up to maximum. There's cameras everywhere. You've got high profile cases in the show. So basically, they see me coming in and out of that cell, do you know what I mean? Um, from the securities. And they put me under investigation. The police come in and question me, put me down the segregation unit, um, allegedly. So what happened was, allegedly, Sean, is um, I'd seen him in his cell and he had his back to me. So I've gone in from behind him. I've gone crash. I've smashed him over the side of the head there, the tin of tuna. He didn't go down. He think he was a big guy. He didn't go down. So I've run in there, and I started, I started smacking him up, started having a fight with him. And to be honest, he was getting better with me, Sean. He was a big guy. I was like 11 stone, and he was probably about 13, 14 stone. Do you know what I mean? He was a big, a lot bigger than me. He was getting better with me. Um, so my mate on the door, Tony, he, he see what was happening, and I shouted out, Tony, quick, get in here, get in here. Do you know what I mean? Because he was at the door. And in the, in the end, um, the guy, the paedophile was in the neck hold like that. He was laid across, laid across the bed like that and my mate had him in the neck hold like that. And I was just going bang, 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 bang. The guy was, I caught up his kidneys and up his ribs. And I was punching him for about five minutes. And as I was, as I was hitting him, I remember it. As I, every time I was hitting him, it felt like I was hitting a calf or a cow. You know, like a, a bit of frozen meat. I was pole driving him. I must have hit him about 10 times, all around the kidneys. Oh, oh, oh. Every time he was doing that as I was hitting him, I was really smashing him. Cracked ribs, probably. Yeah. So anyway, I'd left him on the, I'd left him on the floor. He had a little cut on the side of his head. Tuna, allegedly left him on the floor. He had a little cut on his head and he went on the floor like a sack of shit. And I come out of there and I felt so good about it because I, I knew what charges he was in for. Like, I've heard of like fucking... Killing rape. his nan. I've heard of rapists of grannies 
Yeah, well, not rapists of corpses of grannies. I've never heard that before. Yeah, killing his fucking nan, do you know what I mean? Smoking crack around her, laying her out on a fucking table and putting all candles around her and having sex with her. So he had to be, do you know what I mean? He had something coming. Of course, yeah, do you know mm. what I mean? And it was his own fault, really, for not going in protection. He fancied his chances on normal location. That's what happens Yeah. in his long-term jail. Sorry, but that is what happens. If you're in for a naughty charge in a long-term jail, you're going to get served up. There's we, no getting away from it. We had one in our jail who took his chance and he um, went to court one day and then he was headline news on the TV in the day room and he'd done something to his niece or something. Fucking no And way. he was a cellmate with the head of the Mexican gang. Oh my God. So he was so like ashamed of having this guy. The guards do a security walk every 30 minutes. Patrol. They, wa they waited until the guard did his walk and they took, I was in the cell next door and they tortured this guy until the next security walk. And I've never heard anything like it. Like, yeah, like yeah. sounds of like a cat yeah, yeah, getting yeah. killed or something. The screams. They kept him alive. And when he came out, he was covered in blood from head to toe. And he managed just to get to the plexiglass door and, and go like just this. And the guards, yeah, and he collapsed. And the, that was it. We never saw him again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's in hard time, if anyone wants to read that. Yeah, yeah I've, st I've started reading your books. Absolutely amazing. Fucking brilliant. It's I liked a bit about the cockroaches when I was coming out of the walls and you couldn't get away from them, Sean. And it was like that when I was in, um, what jail was I in? And I was full of cockroaches, uh, Rochester, mm. years ago. I remember waking up early hours in the morning and like hearing um, rustling of my like cornflakes and Rice yeah, Krispies. Rustling all over the wall. Yeah. And I remember. We ended up having to try and like collect our toothpaste and then toothpaste in all the cracks. Yeah, it's fucking naughty, isn't it? It's yeah. Disgusting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, allegedly, um, this paedophile got attacked um, and I got pulled in for it, Sean. Uh, the school questioned me. They took put, put me in the segregation unit and they said, uh, you're saying you didn't do it, but we've got CCTV of you coming outside of that cell and you going inside that cell and you coming out of that cell smothered in blood. What have you got to say about this? So, um, allegedly, I, I said it wasn't me. I said I heard him screaming um, when we was on the association that, that evening. I said, and because I heard him screaming and I didn't know what he was in for, I didn't know who he was, I went in there to make sure he was all right. I said, so I found him on the floor in the pool of blood I said, so I picked him up and put him on the bed. And that's how I got blood on me. So basically, we got put down the segregation unit for investigation. And um, we st stayed down there for, I think it was a month, on good order and discipline. And we got NFA'd for it. So that was a fucking result, do you know what I mean? So the guards were actually giving you the charge sheets yeah. then. What other charges were they giving you? Just rape, paedophiles. Um... There was a little bit of stigma flying about at that time because this was a, this is a story, Sean, yeah? If, for instance, you was an officer and I was an inmate, me and you had a big row, you go around to that inmate there and say, he's in for rape, but I'm not. You're not in for rape, you're in for burglary. So they do stitch people up and fit people up and say he's in for that and he's in for that, he's in for that. But they was giving me the hit list. I was giving me a hit, they was printing it off and put, you know. Yeah, a lot of that goes on. But when it gets more serious in Arizona, you have to show the paperwork. So if you're a prisoner exactly. or, a, or a guard Depth. and you say that guy 
and you can't show the paperwork, then you get it. Exactly. I was going to get on to yeah. that a bit later on your story. Yeah. That is, that's what happens in, in the UK too, Sean. Mm -hmm. um, with big sentences, you know, people want to know what you're in for. If you can't prove what you're in for, you're a suspect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, another one um, I've done allegedly, another rapist. Um, this one was a kiddie, fid kiddie fiddler. Mm. Uh, did, it, got, did it say how old the victim was in that one? I can't really remember too much about it, Sean. But all I do is, all I remember is allegedly, um, I'd filled a jug up with um, boiling hot water and put a pound of sugar in it and went to his cell door. And when he came out, he had a lot in his face. Um, that was another hit list done from the screws, you know what I mean? So the screws do leak information. At the end of the day, I know they're screws, but they're human beings. And no one likes a paedophile. They have nothing coming whatsoever. Exactly. I, you know, even to this day now, they deserve what they get because what they put the people through outside, Sean. Do you know well, we've I mean? put this to the public and they thoroughly approve of convict justice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's, you don't really, uh, you get away with it in jail, you know, and you, you do get the odd officer, like an old school screw who's been in the game for a long time. He builds trust up on an inmate. Not loads of inmates, but he'll just pick one who he trusts, you know what I mean? And I was at one in a few different jails that I went to, you know. Um, so we stayed in Belmarsh for, after I got convicted, uh, probably about six months, eight months. And from there, I went to, so after being in Belmarsh, on remand, under Category A conditions, going to court, getting sentenced, they lowered my category and um, and B-cat me. So I got a B-cat, which was good because A-cat was fucking hard work. Do you know what I mean? You can't have no visitors and anything like that. So, so B-cat's like high, medium, is it then? Yeah, B-cat um, B trainers are long-termers. Yeah. Um, you've got a BCAT local, which is like a remand centre, Wandsworth, Brixton, Pentonville, the scrubs. When you first get arrested off the street, they're um, BCAT, they're BCAT um, locals. But um, I was sent to a BCAT trainer. So it's the next one down from an ACAT. It's very high security still. Um, and it was a new prison, brand spanking new. It had only just been built and it had only just opened and it was called Dovegate. And it was in Birmingham, Utoxeter. Um They come come around and uh, said, "Look, there's a new prison um, opened up. It's a B cat. You've had your category dropped. Um, you fit the criteria of going to uh, this new prison." So they sent this to the new, this new prison. Um, I was the second inmate in this prison from the day it got built from scratch. There was no one else in there. So it was brand spanking new. Um, it was all electric doors. It was a lot more high tech than Belmarsh. Um, a lot more comfortable too. You know, um, you had like you had like electric doors on your cell. Um, everything was bolted down. You had CCTV. They had electric doors on the wing. Um, they had an office just outside the wing, so they got full full view of you all the time. Do you know what I mean? Um, I was the second one in there. I was in there for about two weeks and uh, my other code, landed there. Um, and he was very, very, very well known. 
notorious, I'd say. So I felt safe as the houses with him. Do you know what I mean? Um, was it quite empty as well? Because you were the first guys in there. There was only two of us in there. Oh, most peaceful, most peaceful prison you've ever been in. <laughs> to be honest with you, at first I thought this is absolutely it's like Butlins. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but as the days were going on, it was getting more and more frustrating because the, the screws, what was running, the Serco, that was private, so there wasn't there wasn't screws. They was, but the Serco, um, and they didn't have a clue. They just probably had like a few months training. And then they're put, they're put amongst like people doing double figure sentences, lifers, people never ever getting out. Three weeks before, they're in Tesco filling shelves up, things like that. That's what Wildman said. It went from like the old school ex military to Tesco workers. What, yeah. Yeah. So it became really frustrating for me. Um, certain things like visits, um, application forms, they just didn't have a clue. I was going in the office. Asking them for like bits and pieces, say a razor, can I have a new razor, have a shave, put an application form in, put an application form in. Was, and like, you wouldn't get an answer from there and then. Like, we'll ask our superior, we'll ask our superior. And it becomes frustrating because to deal with long termers, you need to fucking know how to deal with long termers. Do you know what I mean? Um, there's a lot of difference between a short term and a long termer, a lot of difference. So it become very frustrating, but we started parting in there. Me and my Cody, he landed in there. Um, he got hold of a female officer. Um, she was corrupt. She'd only just started the job, mixed race girl, in her early 20s. So, um, allegedly, the co-defendant was having an affair with her. Um, she bringing the stuff in. She was bringing bringing class A in and phones in. This went on for. I was in there, I was in there for around six months, something like that. And uh, one day they locked us all down, and I started hearing cell doors opening, and people getting dragged out of their cell, like, I mean, dragged out, lifted up by their hands and like lifted up by their feet and their arms and getting wrapped up and took them down the segregation unit. They brought the tornadoes in or something. Yeah. Mufti squad. So, um, yeah, it panned out. Look, um, someone, one of the inmates put a letter in a box about me and my co-defendant and said that we had phones. It's always a fucking jealous person, isn't there? Yeah, it didn't last six months. If he's it? having sex with the staff, I'm going to get rid of him and I can have sex with that kind or of mentality. Or getting sank, but we're not getting, he yeah. shouldn't be having it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It always gets spoiled, doesn't it? Yeah. I met Ronnie O'Sullivan in there. You know, what, Ronnie O'Sullivan, snooker player. Oh, yeah. Yeah. His dad's doing life. He's got a, he's got a life sentence. Um, his story is, and this is, this is this is what I know. Um, one of my friends I was brought up with, um, he had a, a mechanic's garage. Um, he was a mechanic, and he had a little Fiat place in Stretton Vale where I was brought up. He was a straight goer. He used to, he was fixing cars for a living. So he was in um, Kelvin. His name. Uh, he was in a night, a, a bar in Fulham. And he was having a bit of a domestic with his bird girlfriend out the front. Only arguing, they was both coked up. He was drinking, you know, one thing led to another. 
he didn't hit her or nothing like that, but there was big work like, swearing at each other. Lonnie O'Sullivan, allegedly, come outside, broke a pills bottle on the wall and stabbed my mate in the throat. Um, my mate died. He killed him. So, and he was one of my very good friends, do you know what I mean? It made it a little bit hard for me when I see him. But he was quite a few years into his sentence by the time I see him. Um, and he was in Dovegate too, do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, we didn't, I lasted six months in there. I got shipped out of Dovegate. Um, we got we got bent up one afternoon, me and my codies. Got bent up and we got taken down the segregation unit, put under investigation um, for having phones and s supplying drugs to inmates in there. They received information from a box. Someone's written a letter in the box and cast us up. So we lasted six months in there. Um, got shipped out of there. And from there, I went to Swellside, which is um, Isla Sheppey. Swellside again is a B cat trainer for long termers. Um, Yamir is in there at this time. You have got inmates, um, you have got short term inmates in Swellside, but them ones what are in Swellside are the ones that play up in the system and the system can't handle them. So it's, it's known as dumping ground, Sean, basically. Um, any long termers or anyone wants a bit of a Bit of, bit of trouble in the system, they all get sent to Swellside, do you know what I mean? I went to Swellside and, um, and it was eerie. It was like, there was spurs. So like A-ring, you got like uh, four spurs, you got spurs come off each other and they used, to, they used to unlock the gate at the end of the spur but leave you out all day, do you know what I mean? And I remember when I went through there, it was, you could feel the atmosphere. It was fucking a naughty place, mate. It was, it was more naughtier than anything I'd ever experienced Swellside. And it was only a B-cat trainer, do you know what I mean? But it was a naughty gaff. You had to be really naughty to get to get there. You had to be a, pro a problem in the system. So um, I went there, but in there, there was a lot of drugs. Everyone had phones. Um... There's a lot of addictions. There's a lot of addicts. There was no work. You was like left on the spur all day long. Do you know what I mean? There's no work at all there. Um, and all you could do in there was get up to something to get through your sentence. Do you know what I mean? Um, if you put your name down for education, you had to wait like months and months and months to get in there. It was proper dumping ground. Fucking horrible jail. They actually called it Brownside, not Swellside. They nicknamed it Brownside because it was full of brown. Absolutely rife with it. The screws were bringing it in, Sean. The gym, the PEI screw was bringing it in. Do you know what I mean? Dropping it off to one of my friends. Like, fucking despicable place. And um, there's a lot of addicts. There's a lot of stabbings. Um, I was in the uh, association room one evening just after tea, I think it was about half past six. And um, a guy had been in the kitchen all day long and he had a big pot like that, massive pot. And he was full up with oil, it was fucking bubbling. And he'd got wind, this guy, 
that his co-defendant had just landed in this jail and his co-defendant had gone Queen's evidence on him. So I don't know whether the system was doing it to set them up. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? But they put them both on the same fucking wing and they both gone Queen's evidence on each other. So it was inevitable what was going to happen. Do you know what I mean? But this poor guy, he was sitting, uh, sitting in the association room watching telly, just like we are now. And this other guy come from behind him with his pot of fat and just sat out on his head. Boiling up fat. He'd been on the pan for like hours. Boiling. I'll never ever forget the screams and the, his face went from, from like that to like that. It's melted off. His face just melted off and they nicknamed him after. That was his nickname. But them type of things was happening on a regular basis, you know. Um, because the drug dealers in there, what they was doing, they were selling like heroin and they was giving you a strap, like bow. So basically, you could get like up to 200 pounds of heroin off them. On credit. On credit. So what they used to do is, um, you wouldn't, they'd give you a few bags just to tease you. So you get two or three bags of heroin, not the full lot, you get a few bags just to reel you in. And then the dealer would get his people to check his bank account outside and see if the money had gone in because inmates were ringing their um, families up and saying to their families, what, I want £200 put into this account. So that was happening all the time in there. The drug dealers were making fucking fortunes in there. And you hear them on the phones, don't you? Making all these stories up to the family members as to why they need the money. That's exactly what happened. Do you know what I mean, Sean? And yeah. So the addiction and the suicide rate was unbelievable. Um, I've got one quick story about what happened in the world, so I had a naughty one. So there's two brothers in there. A slim guy and a fat guy, but nevertheless, they were brothers. They'd been charged for supplying Class A, so they co-defendants. So they were both put in the same nick, they both got the same sentence, and they were running side by side with each other. This one of the brothers, his name is Robert, he was about four cells along from me, from me I remember. And the night time, we used to have a little shout out the windows and talk to each other. But one night, someone, he was having an argument, Robert was having an argument with someone, and it, they were slagging each other off and um, threatening each other, saying, like, as soon as that door's open in the morning, don't worry about that, we're going to get it sorted, you know what I mean? Because that's, that's what used to happen. If you had an argument out the window of a night, you'd go to bed, but you wouldn't sleep, you'd just dwell on it all night and all night, and the minute that door opened in the morning, you'd be out like a jackrabbit with a tool in your hand. So... This went on for early hours in the morning, they're both really coating each other off. And you know when someone has a row, you think, oh, there's going to be nothing, nothing, do you know what I mean? They forget it by the morning, surely it'll be over and done with. Yeah, I've seen that. This, this guy didn't forget it, do you know what I mean? What he's done, he ripped his table leg off, lump of wood, lump of four by three wood like that, about that eye. He chunked it up like that. And he got a big nail stuck in the end of it. In the morning, the screws opened the doors up. He ran in to the other guy's cell. The guy had a green blanket over his head. He was asleep. He was a, he was a heroin addict and he was withdrawing. He was in bed. He was in a bad way. This guy, this guy's running inside the cell with his table leg. He's still in bed. 
and he's gone smash straight over his head. And the now has gone into here. Fuck. Oh, the temple. Listen, now it's gone into there. About an hour later, it's locked down. All the screws, they've got to do a roll check. The guy who's done it, he's gone back in his cell, got out of his clothes, washed his hands. That's it. He's done it. It's over and done with. We all fought anyway. So, because I heard the argument and I heard what was going on, I thought I'm going to go and have a look and see if he's all right. So I went inside this cell. I pulled the blanket back and he wasn't moving. But there was like green and grey stuff coming down the side of his face from his temple. Green and grey. He's dead. It's his brains. It's his brains. He's, he's murdered him. Do you know what I mean? And you're at the scene of the murder. Yeah, I was two cells along from it. And I see the dead body and all. And I saw the green and grey stuff come down the side of his head. Didn't that put you at risk of him thinking you'd done it? Um, he actually got he actually got arrested for it. The guy who had done it, really? he actually got arrested and got convicted. Went in. Yeah, yeah, he got like he got a life sentence for it. Do you know what I mean? He yeah. didn't get away with it, Sean. Yeah. But you know, things like this was happening all the time in there. Um, suicide rape was fucking over the roof. People cutting their wrists, people hanging themselves. And a lot of a lot of it was down to drugs, addiction. Yeah. Smack. How were they killing themselves? Cutting their wrist, hanging themselves. It was at least while I was in there, there was at least three suicides, and I was only in there twelve months. At least three suicides and that murder. It was a really naughty gaff. Um, and when he went out on the exercise yard during the daytime, you had, you had um. You had to put hardback books all around your waist just in case you get stabbed in the torso and someone tries to kill you. Do you know what I mean? Just the that... place Yami was putting his books. Yeah, he would, he, he would have been Swale there. Swale side. Yeah. Yami's yeah. been in a few times for Swale yeah, side. Yeah. I've actually seen Yami in there a few times in Swale side. That wasn't the one where he did that, all of the stabbings on that one day, was it, in Swale side? I think so, yeah. Was it? Yeah, I think where, so. Where's it based? What do you mean? Where is it? Where is it? Where is, where is Oh, Isla Shepherd, she and this. Where so is that? Lays down Kent. Oh, Kent, okay. Kent, it's that way. Um, yeah. So it's south, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, it was a dumping ground and anyone what played up in the system or was known as like trouble. All was, the problem cases. Yeah, it was put in this fucking swell side. So was that the only murder that you like saw quite close up in swell side? Yeah. Yeah, I must admit that was the only one I see in there, but numerous fights. Numerous slashings. Um, Over drug debts, I imagine. Yeah, it was, because like you were getting strapped in there. The drug dealers were giving you under pounds with the drugs on tick. You know what I mean? And to to a like to an addict, they didn't care about like whether he was going to get paid or not. So I, mean, I just wanted to be fixed. You know what I mean? So it was rife in there. It was fucking rife. And that was the first time in my sentence I actually felt nervous. Did anyone test you? No. No, no, because my other code my other co defendant was with me, and he was notorious. He was big in the game, um, so I half got, you know, he took me under his not took me under his wing, but everyone knew that if they had a pop at me, he was by my side. Do you know what I mean? And he was naughty, very not, very very naughty. Do you know what I mean? Did you have your own cell? Um, no, no. Another story I've got to tell you about. Yami knows about this one as it happens. I was in Belmarsh before I got sent to the, before I got convicted, Sean. And um, they put another guy in my cell. So 
around four or five o'clock in the morning, the guy was getting up and he was uh, turning the light on and he was praying. I've got nothing against religion, by the way. The, guys, the guy was a, a Muslim and he was like, doing the chanting, what they do, um, screaming out the window, do you know what I mean? Chanting for four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. And it's hard enough to get some nice peaceful sleep, isn't yeah, it? Without yeah, yeah. All the other fucking noises. So I think I didn't have too much of it, Sean, only a few days. Um, and I blew my lib of him, do you know what I mean? I woke up, I got up and I said, get in fucking bed. I've had enough of this. Do you know what I mean? He got a bit leery of me. Bang, I've hit him in the eye like that. As I've hit him, his eyeball didn't pop out, but it just split. It's fucking blood everywhere. Do you know what I mean? I went to bed that night and so did he. But the next morning, like when the screws have unlocked the door, he's gone up to the screw and made a statement and said, like, I've just bashed him up. Do you know what I mean? Um, and from them, from when I'd done that to him, but he was warned. This guy was warned. Do not fuck about with Joey because he'll serve you up. He'll do you. Don't fuck about with him. Do you know what I mean? He will do you. End of. My co-defendant actually said to this guy, do you know what I mean? If you mess about with him, do not mess about it, do you? And he, that's what he was doing. He was keeping me up, Sean. Do you know what I mean? So it's funny, really, because like he stood, he stood um, down a segregation unit and told the governor like, I, I beat him up and fucking one I was over there. Do you know what I mean? I made him boss-eyed. Well, I hit him so hard. You know, his eye went in his head. Didn't that make him a snitch, though, in the eyes of everyone else? Yeah, yeah. He disappeared from there. Disappeared. He was gone. He was gone. Yami was in on the wing when this happened. Um, so he got to hear about it. Um, so from from them, um, I've got a thing called high risk. So it's on my page 16. You've got a thing called a page 16. The screws keep uh, a record of every, all the bad stuff you do on one on a page 16. And it was on my page 16, yeah, is high risk. Don't ever put another inmate in your cell. Because I, so it done me a favour in a way. Um, I do regret beating him up, do you know what I mean? I should never have done it. But from when I'd done that, they never ever put another person in my cell again. You can't have your sleep messed with. It's so important, isn't it? When you're it? doing a long sentence, do you know what I mean? Yeah. He was only, do, was only doing 18 months or two years, do you know what I mean? Criminal damage or something stupid like that. And why you got to look at it, Sean? If you let someone take a piss out of you while you're doing them, lo while you're doing them long sentences, you're gonna be a mug the whole sentence. Do you it's know what I mean? Never gonna end. The first person that has a go at you, you've got to make an example of them. Otherwise, you've got to. Otherwise, they'll be lining up at your door. You've got to make an example of them. Otherwise, you're gonna be bullied. Do you know what I mean? They're gonna yeah. take a piss out of you. Another story I've got, a hard eating story, Sean, was uh, in Belmarsh again. This is really funny. This one. Um, there's an old guy in there in his 60s. He was tall, skinny, grey, white, gump. He, you wouldn't ever think that he was naughty, you know what I mean? He didn't look that type. He didn't look like a criminal, Sean. And I got friendly with him. And what happened was, was um, his niece on the estate, he lived in Portsmouth, um, and it was a, a set of flat called Lee Park in Portsmouth. So a guy in his in his block had interfered, touched um, his niece up, mm. and she was only six. <sighs> so Jeff, which is that's his name, Jeff. I named him Scissorhand. Jeff, what he done? He broke into the guy's house, 
He was a paedophile, by the way. He broke into the paedophile's house, waited for the paedophile to come home, jumped from beyond the city, and started attacking the paedophile, started stabbing him to get him back for what he'd done to his niece. Justice, isn't it? So, anyway, he's, uh, he's got the paedophile and he's tied him to a chair, like one of his chairs, but it was a rocking chair. He's got all zipper ties, not in black uh, zipper ties, plastic ones. He's got all his arms down like that. He's zipper tied him up like that. His legs are all crossed. He's zipper tied him up. He's gone in the kitchen, Jeff, and he's got a, a fork and a knife. What do you eat? And he's stabbing him. He's torturing him. What he'd done in the end was he kept him for three days in there, in that armchair. He got a pair of scissors. He got his eyelid. He cut that eyelid off. He cut that eyelid off. He was crying blood. He's, he can't get out of the chair, so he's crying blood. His eyeballs have been, his eyelid's been cut off, right? He's gone to the kitchen. He's got a pair of scissors. Pulled his trousers off. He's cut his dick off. Completely cut his dick off from, from the stem. The guy's in a bad way. He's smothered in blood. His eyes have been cut out. His dick's been cut off. He's bleeding to death. Fucking naughty. He cut the guy's dick off, Sean, and put it in his own mouth. And then called the police and said, I've just murdered him. Come, come and have a look. So by the time I'd met Jeff, he'd shown me all the CCTV pictures of the guy what he'd killed. And he did. He had his dick hanging out of his mouth. He was crying blood. And I nicknamed him Scissor Hand. So we used to have a bit of banter with him. Did he get any play at trial because it was a paedophile? I'm not too sure. He got a life sentence. I think he got an 18-year tariff or something like a big tariff, Sean. Do you know what I mean? Um, but he was in his 60s, Sean. His 60s. He was in his 60s when I met wow. him. Do you know what I mean? You wouldn't think butter would melt in his mouth. But he murdered the paedophile and put his penis out of his mouth, cut his eyelids off, called the police. And when I met him, he said, look, Joe, he said, uh, you, you, like, you like funny things, didn't you? He said, you hate paedophiles, didn't you? Because he'd, he'd heard that like, I was doing paedophiles. I said, I fucking hate them, yeah. I said, that's why I'm put in here, to do these nonces, yeah? The victims, what they've left outside, they fucking deserve it. And I still think it today. I'm sorry, but I do. So, yeah, he got, he got, um, he got a life sentence, but... During the daytime, we used to have a bit of banter with him and I used to shout out, Oi, scissor hand, scissor hand. <laughs> and he used to chase us all around the landings. There was a net in the middle, Sean, like on each side of the landing. He used to run all across the net, chasing us all around. Fucking comical. Was that a jumper net? Yeah, just a safety net. Safety net. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's jumping nets to stop you yeah. jumping down. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I used to run on the net. He used to run on the net. We used to have a right laugh together. He was a right nice fella. One yeah. of your own. Right nice fella. <laughs> But yeah, he's never getting out. He's probably dead by now. Do you know what I mean? That was in 1999. Um, that was in Belmarsh. Um, so, well, he dovegate. So we got wrapped up in the end, going back to the story. Um, got wrapped up because of like my code defendant allegedly was shagging a screw, a female screw, a mixed race screw. She was new. She'd only just come in the game. So, um, Should have stayed at Tesco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're enjoying this, please go and look in the description box and check out Joe's links, including his YouTube channel. Uh, I think your Facebook's down there and also his book. Yeah, all the links are there. Cheers, Sean.
Thank you very much for that. So, uh, yeah, um, Dovegate and then from Dovegate, we got ghosted out of there under under heavy security and I got sent to Whitemore. Um, Yammy was in Whitemore. So I was rolling with Yammy. We was all having it together. Yammy knows my co-defendant very well, who I was arrested with, Mr. Big, I called him. Um, so we was like family, you know what I mean? We had each other's backs and, and but in, in Whitemore, um, it was different to the other jails, Sean, a lot different, intense. Um, for instance, you got people and they was never getting out. So straight away I met um, the Essex boys, murders, Mickey Steele. And um, Jack Holmes, the two of them got arrested for it. And after seeing Jack Holmes and Mickey Steele, and after being with them for like a good few months, you, I can honestly say that weren't them what done that murder. It was stitched up. I can honestly and put my hand on my heart and say that wasn't them what done that murder. There was nothing at all to do it. There was not that type whatsoever. Do you know what I mean? There was the nicest people you could ever meet. Um, gentlemen. There was gentlemen. Um, so yeah I met Mickey Steele Jack Holmes um, I've got a little story about Kenneth Noyle he had just been arrested for the um, allegedly oh no he did get arrested it's not allegedly he did for the manslaughter road rage on the M25 um, just previously he just he just got out of a big sentence for um, for doing something in his back garden basically um undercover police was had him under surveillance and they jumped over his um yeah big back garden they jumped over his back garden so Kenneth's dogs heard intruders coming into his garden do you know what I mean one of the officers died over it do you know what I mean and he got a very big long sentence over it he should never have got sentenced for that because they've come in his back garden he was only defending his own place and his family do you know but um, he was in there and uh, he was on, because in Whitemore you had a thing called food boats. So basically, it was all clicks in there. When you went in there, if you, if you didn't have your debts or your statements, you got two weeks to get them and produce them. If you didn't, you was gone. You couldn't, go, you couldn't stay on a normal location. They wanted to know your convictions and what you was in there for. It was that naughty, do you know what I mean? Which is right. Really, and um, Kenneth Noel, he was on my mate's food boat. So each week, like you all put like a ten or fifteen quid in or something, and they go out once a month. The uh, screws and bring you in your canteen, and you've got fridges and freezers on the wing, so you all get joints and meat. And it's a food boat, so you've got like four or five of you on each one. And one of my friends was on um, Kenneth's food boat. So they'd been, they'd been um, like every week spending all their money on joints of meat and buying all the shopping, doing all their bollocks on the food. And one day, Kenny hadn't bought nothing. So they said to Kenny, they said, do you mind just buying a little bag of basmati rice? And he said, no, he wouldn't buy this little bag of bag, bag, basmati rice. He wouldn't buy it for the food boat. They kicked him off of it. And they called him a tight ass. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it was, you could hear him squeak when he walked. He was a lovely fella, but he was tight as assholes. 
Tart his arse house. <laughs> so that's Kenneth. Um, yeah, I've spoke about swell side. Oh, um, Paul Massey. So I'm doing Paul Massey's audio book right now with Steve Rave. Yeah, I know Paul Massey. I met, I met him. He's so a lovely guy. Just I've just listened to um, all of the chapters. Uh, it's a hell of a story, isn't it? What a guy. I mean, the way he just like negotiated things, everybody respected him. Um, St Stephen Ray phoned me up just before he's in the summer last year and asked me if I would do a tribute to, in the book to Paul Massey because this is what happened. When I went to Whitemore, James, the one who grasped me up, had just been shipped out of there. So everywhere we went, he'd just gone or vice versa, do you know what I mean? And um, Paul Massey was in Whitemore. The grass, who grasped me up, one of my friends had caught hold of him along the line and I'd got a, two razors in a toothbrush and I slashed him right down here. So the skull out thick and right down his face because he grasped, he grasped us up. So he was a snitch. Snitches get stitches. Was, and do you want to explain the purpose of having two razors? Yeah, because if you get cut, if you get cut of a single razor, it's easy to, easy to stitch up. If you put double razors and put a gap in between them, they can't put stitches in it. So they've got to put paper, uh, metal staples in it and it, it leaves you a bigger scar. Um, so yeah, um, I just got there and um, the grass on my case had just been shipped out. Paul Massey was down the segregation unit when I got there. And this is what happened with him. Allegedly. Well, no, it's not even allegedly. This did happen because Paul Massey's now been now been killed. So Paul Massey <clears throat> there's a nonce on a bad pedophile on the wing at the time. I wasn't in there, but Paul Massey was in there with this fucking grass who grasped me up. Allegedly, Paul Massey give my co-defendant, which is the grass. A little bag of heroin to go and cut this nonce up on the wing because there was a nonce in there. And someone's someone's gone up to this Paul's given um, my co-defendant James a little bit of heroin. He's told him where the cell is. So in the morning, the geezer's in bed. My co-defendant, the glass, has gone inside the cell and used his face like a map. Two two razors in a toothbrush. Geezer's in bed. He's pulled a blanket back and he's gone like that. He's cut him in the smithereens. His face was like a map. He really opened bad. But the police got called because the, the geezer didn't die, but he had severe facial injuries. The police got called. Now, my co-defendant, he told the police that Paul Massey had him under duress made him cut the nonce up, otherwise Paul Massey was going to kill him. He'd done the same, same thing. thing. He'd done the same thing to Paul, what he'd done to me. So at this time, I'd been shipped out. I was in Parkhurst. <coughs> and Paul Massey writ to me. And he said, Joe, he said, how are you doing? I said, good. He said, um, he said you're a co-defendant. I said, oh, yeah. He said, um, what a dirty rat. He said, he's done me what he's done to you. 
he's grasped me up. He said, he's made me. I made him cut the nonce up. He said, do you mind writing a statement to his, to my solicitor, which is Paul's solicitor, to give a character reference to say what type of person this glass was? And I've done that, and he got a not guilty. So it's all well and good, do you know what wow. I mean? But he tries to do Paul Massey and all. Wow. Glass, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So what happened was, Sean, he'd done the nonce, the police got called, and James DeGrasse got arrested for GBH Section 18. Don't normally happen in prison because the police don't really get involved with it. It's, what happens in prison normally stays in prison. But this paedophile had been cut up so bad that he thought he, he's going to bring the police, get the police involved. So, it, yeah, he'd it, it gone under duress, do you know what I mean, with Paul again and done the same with me, got away with it. Um, and then, like, you know what happened with Paul later on in life, do you know what I mean? But, um, so, as I was saying, I'll go back onto the story, sorry, uh, Sean. So, he got arrested, my code of think got arrested for this Section 18 GBH. I took him a court. They squashed the six years. This is justice. They squashed the six years, what would get with us, and they now give him a new life sentence for doing a nonce. Holy shit. So, Wow. That's karma. Yeah, it's total karma. That's fucking karma, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, in the Paul Massey book, it, it, it's really moving, you know, what the kids say and um, their stories are heartbreaking. And then on the day of what happened to him as well, how, how that's what? detailed, it's really crazy. Nice fella. Yeah. He was yeah. a lovely fella, Sean. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like bad press and he was this and he was that and he was this. I didn't see him like that. Do you know what I mean? To be honest with you, I, I didn't see a bad bone in his body. Um, he didn't come across to me as like violent or anything like that. You know, he come across as a thief, like turning a few quid, like we all did. But because the same hitman took out a guy just at the top of my hometown. There's witness, and then there's Rain Hill. This guy was walking the dog, Liverpool. and that was uh, one of Paul Massey's associates that this they took out. Yeah. And that's how they caught the hitman, I think, was through that second assassination. Right. So he got he got took out, didn't he? Yeah, he got killed. It's not on his doorstep, Sean. Massey. Yeah. Massey, yeah. He um the guy came in his military gear and stuff and started what he was gonna do. And then Paul put a call in. And the call was really like he was calling for an ambulance or some shit. But the guy taking the call was really long-winded. Right. And bam, the, the hitman just got him. I think he was hiding behind something and the hitman got him again. Mm. Yeah. Uncalled for, really. Yeah. He's yeah. uncalled for. He didn't deserve that. No. No, no. way. Because when I was with him, I was with him on a few um, different times, Sean. I was in Parkhurst with him. He was on my food boat. Because when he came to Parkhurst, he didn't know many people. And um, he was on uh, the Isle of Wight. So he was on an island. And he didn't want to be in there, do you know what I mean? He wanted to put himself down in a segregation unit to get shipped out of there and get back near home. Um, yeah. I took him under my wing pole and I put him on my food boat. I was with him for about three months at that time, cooking for him all the time. We was having it together, playing snoop together and doing everything together. He was right as rain. Yeah, Chet Sandu did some time with him as well. He spoke about that and he said he was really solid and had a good time. Oh, he was. Him, very respected. Two roles I met in there at Parkhurst when I was in there. Dominic Noonan. At that time, he was charged with an armed robbery and he was doing, sorry, he was doing 10 years. 
later on it all come out what it was all about and what happened to him. Do you know what I mean? Fiddling with kids and that. Um, but when I was with him and Paul Massey was with him, we was all on the same wing together. He decided one afternoon um, to come out of his cell with no clothes on, not even a pair of boxer shorts on. Dominic. Yeah. So he was walking all around the wing completely stark naked. Um, and they put him down the segregation unit. That's what he wanted to get out of there, to get near her home. Do you know what I mean? But I thought it was a little bit strange. There's ways to do it. Like, I was in Parker, Sean, and I wanted to get out of there bad because it was the Isle of Wight and all the screws were interbred. They all look alike. They're all on an island and they all shag each other's brothers and sisters. And that's the fucking truth. So if you've got a beef with one, you've got a beef with him and him and him and him. That's why it's such an horrible jail. When it was a cat A jail, before the IRA got out there, it was a top jail. But as soon as the IRA got out there, they turned it into a B cat and they started putting all wrongings in there, nonces in there, paedophiles in there. It was fucking terrible in there. Um, so yeah, I, I see Dominic in there and um, he got shipped out. Um, where did I go after that? Parkhurst. I think it might have been. Let's check our notes because there's, there's so many. Um, I think it was... Um, yeah, it was. It was fucking Maidstone. What? Well, it was Maidstone. I've got Longlart in Parkhurst, Whitemore on my notes. Maidstone then, yeah. which, is, which is quite close to here. Yeah, Maidstone, Kent, and sure it was Maidstone. Yeah, because first of all, it was Highdown, Belmarsh, Dovegate, Swellside. Then they sent me back to Parkhurst again. I've been back there twice on the same sentence, Parkhurst. Because if, if you got in trouble in, in a jail, uh, Sean, what they used to do, they used to use it like as, um, as a deterrent or a punishment. So in other words, they'd threaten you. Like, if you play up, the screws would say to you, you're going on the island. They used it as a weapon, do you know what I mean? Um, it's an horrible, horrible jail, Parker. Really, really nasty jail. Like going to Alcatraz. Yeah, it was eerie in all songs, do you know what I mean? You could you could see the writing on the walls. It was a very eerie place. Um, I know it's had some notorious names go through it, and I've been there quite a few times, but... It changed from from an A cat to a B cat, and it lost itself. You know what I mean? It was fucked. By the time I got there, it was fucked. Um, so anyway, coming on, coming on to the story a bit. Two thousand and six, I went to, or two thousand and five, or something like that. Sean, I went to Maidstone. I met my mate in. I met my mate in there, Mark, who I knew from around the back of the ice skating ring in Streatham. And the screws in, in there was totally and utterly different. You could cook your own food and they dropped you out. They left you alone. Um, I got a job in a print shop. Come out of there, to be honest with you. Three months before I was released, my stepdad died and we inherited 150 grand. So it was me and my two sisters, we inherited 150 grand. And this was 2006. So I went away in 98. So I was, I was on my way home. And um, 
I had 50 odd grand in the bank, Sean, do you know what I mean? I'd just done seven or eight years. But I was still, I was still in jail when my stepdad died and the house got sold. So after all them fucking years of me spending in jail, smoking crack and going in jail for crack, I was still smoking crack in 2006. Mm. And I was going through my money like it was water oh. whilst I was inside. Oh. 2006, after doing that long. That's a shame. I got out. <sighs> Fucking hell. After doing that long and all, I got out and I went straight back at it. Straight, no. I did straight back across the pavement, what I was doing before. After 12 years. That's all you knew. That's all I know. It's an addiction. That's what I just put in um, the Inside Times in a newspaper. Razor's just done a big article in there on me. The hardest addiction to beat was armed robberies. Because you're in and out there so quick with thousands of pounds. It's an hard, it becomes addictions. Adrenaline high. It's an adrenaline. It's, a, it's quick money. Things have changed now. Thank God. Do you know what I mean? With security screens and CCTV and it's all changed now com compared to what it was back in the day, Sean. You, you couldn't get away with it now. Do you know what I mean? But that little light switch in my head hadn't switched yet. Do you know what I mean? And that was 2006 after it's got 12 years. So I come back out, got through 50 grand in 18 months. They have nothing to show for it. Skin. 50 grand later, 18 months later, skin. I only went back to what I knew. 2006. As luck had it, Sean, someone must have been on my side because I got nicked for a burglary. A lot less than what I was doing, allegedly. Do you know what I mean? I did get nicked for a burglary on a commercial building on a warehouse. Um, it was a Hilti Tools or something like that on an industrial estate. Um, I've got three years. So, to be honest, that was like a saviour. And that was 2006. That was my life saviour. But I still hadn't learnt my lesson. So, was I going to die? Was I mapped out to die? Should I be here now sitting here talking to you, Sean? By rights, I shouldn't be, really. Compared to, considering what I've done to people, the fear I've put into people, and I've, you know, so, yeah, 2006, um, I've got three years. I got sent to Wayland, which was a Cat C, Cat C jail. Same old faces every time you go in there. It's the same circle. Nothing changes. Nothing. You always meet the same people when you, from years ago. It's the same circle of people. It's a vicious circle, mate, to get out of. And um, about 2007, I don't know what made me do it, but I got to put myself on an education course and I thought, I've got to learn how to read and write. So I couldn't read and write. I didn't go to school much. Left school early. Was, um, I still am a little bit dyslexic, you know. I forget things. Um, mix up my words. Drug abuse. Years and years of fucking torture, maybe so, do you know what I mean? But I'm still here to tell the tales now. And I'm fighting fit again, do you know what I mean? 
So 2007, uh, 2006, I went into Wayland, met all the same circle of friends. I was a prison tattooist and I was in a sea cat. So we had a lot more um, freedom, which meant you can go on one wing to another wing to another wing. There was CCTV, but it was nowhere near like I wasn't used to. Do you know what I mean? And I have a guess who I met in there again after all them years. Mr. Big. Ronnie O'Sullivan. Um, in 2006, so I met him in 98 when I first went away with him. And when I went back in 2006, he was still in there. No yammy? Um, did I see yammy on that one? I think that's the only sentence I've ever done. <laughs> that's the only sentence I've ever done where I ain't seen yammy. <laughs> We've been like that for fucking years. Years. Um, you know, he's had my back. I've had his back. We've done things together and we smoked together and I'm so glad he's out. So anyway, yeah, I've become a prison tattooist, Sean. And I was going across all the other wings, tattooing people. And there was an SO in there, a senior officer. And his name is Mr. And he was like, he was toying, he was toying with the idea that he wanted a tattoo. Because it's illegal to tattoo, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Because of hepatitis and... So a guard was going to get one. So he kept on to me. It's S.O. Mr. He kept on to me. And he said, I've seen some of your work. You're fucking shit up, Joe. He said, you wouldn't put my wife up my wrist, would you? Put her name up there. Claire. I thought it was a joke. I thought, couldn't believe it. One afternoon, he's come in. He said, right, he said, there's no one about. How long is it going to take? I said, three minutes. He said, get all the gear together quick. He put his arm on the table and I tattooed the screw. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Tattoo the fucking screw. Wow. Put his wife on his wrist, Claire. Wow. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've got all these tattoos. Look, these were done in jail. Wow. I've done that one in the mirror, Sean. Yeah, yeah. They're prison tattoos. Yeah. 100% crazy going across there. <laughs> so, yeah, I've become a tattooist in the end. Got notorious for being fucking a tattooist. I've done, um, got put an education. Learned how to read and write. Threw myself into Bible studies. Completed the Alpha course. Become a born-again Christian. Got baptised. I was coming back from Bible studies one night. On the landing. There's a screw up the top. One down the bottom. Waiting for me to come up the corridor. All of a sudden, I've got this warmth. I've got this feeling come around me. I had a big light come around me. And this is the truth. I had a big light come around me. Someone's going like that, come here, you're with me now, you're with me now. I got back to my cell and I, I told a few of my mates and they said, that, you know what that was, that was your soul, that was God calling you, that was God saying you've had enough now, come here, I want you, come with me. Were you still partying up to this point? No, because I was on Bible studies and this was like 2007, so I'd knuckle down. How hard was it just to stop? I mean, you've been going for years. Um, how old was it? I had a choice to make, Sean. So it wasn't hard. I've got a hit 40 and I had a choice. You either carry on and get a life sentence or now you stop and draw the line. That's enough. And that's what I've done. Did it's you too... go through a withdrawal? Yeah, I went through hell. Do you know what I mean? For, for a long, long time. Do you know what I mean? And I was getting a lot of triggers. I was having a lot of, um, even when I come out, I was having people come around my house 
all my old mates coming back round to me. We've got a bit of work coming up, Joe. This is a bit of you. Good few quid in it for you. Do you know what I mean? Throwing it at my face. But I met, I've met one of my sister's friends, friends, her name's Sam. And she was um, going through problems with one of her exes. He was heavy handed. He was beating her up mm. on a daily basis, beating her bad. Mm. So Sam turned to drink, due to the bottle. And by the time I'd met her, um, she was a bit everywhere, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but we clicked for some reason. We just clicked, saying just connected. She'd been through so much with her past, her exes. She'd been through domestic violence all of her life. I'm totally against domestic violence. If even now, if I if I'm driving down the street and I see a man hitting a woman, I'll jump out of my car and that's it. It's on. I'm going to hit the man, or not hit him. I'm going to grab him and and pull him off. Do you know what I mean? Because of history repeating itself. What my stepdad done to my mum. So. We gelled, you know what I mean? We really fucking gelled. And, um, yeah, I come out. Um, but before I come out, I'll tell you what happened, Sean, quickly. I had two days left of my sentence in Wayland. Two days. I was home. I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> three years, I've done 18 months out of three years, you do half of it. I've got to mention his name because I actually got pulled in and I got arrested for it. John Venables come in there. It's not a lad. It is allegedly that I've done him, but John Venables come into that prison. Are you aware of John Venables? Can you just tell the audience who John Venables is? Because a lot of them won't be aware. Yeah, John Venables um, is a prolific paedophile and a murderer. He murdered his, his mum, his dad, and his, uh, his younger siblings. And he got a life sentence. Um, but he'd murdered them whilst he was a juvenile. So. They changed his name by a deep hole. He'd done, I think, 15 years, and they let him out. They let him out. They changed his name by a deep hole. But when they let him out, in 2007, they let him out, or 2006, when I met him, he just got nicked. When they'd let him out, he was under surveillance. Um, he was on the sex register, and he had to sign on at the police station because he's a fucking nonce, you know what I mean? And the police raided his house and they took his computers and they found child porn all over his computers. Paedophilia all over his fucking computers. And he was he was on licence for it, do you know what I mean? For killing his family. If you, you YouTube him, you'll see who he is. What naughty bit nasty bit of work. So anyway, another screw, well, the same screw who I've done a tattoo on, I'm now, I've got two days left. So I'm working as a cleaner. On the wing, DSO come down to me. He said, Joe, he said, you never guess who's just come in here? I said, go on. He said, John Venables. He said, he's upstairs. He's changed his name by a depot, but it's him. It's easy stuff. He's showing me all his paperwork. He'd been recalled for the stuff on the internet. So Mr. Williams, he said to me, and this is the truth. This is not allegedly, this is the truth. Miss, well, allegedly, sorry. <laughs> Miss said to me, give me your bank account details. 
give me a phone number. I'm going to put £500 in your account and I want you to do in bed. Did he know you had two days left? Yeah. So he put you on the spot? Yeah, he put me right on the spot. I said, fuck the money, mate. Don't worry about the money. I said, what cell's he in? He said, upstairs on the one, on the twos. I was on the ones. So I'm a, I'm a wing cleaner. So I've got a brown steel toe cap pair of boots on, a pair of jeans and a shirt. I was, I was a lot bigger then, about 13 stone then. Anyway, Mr. banged everyone up on the wing. He's let me out. My mate Mark out, who I knew from the street, and I've met him all in all the jazz, but I knew him on the street. He's, met, he's, he's let me and Mark out and Venables, and the rest of the wing's locked down. All right? So he's opened his door. He's come down to me. He said, right, his cell door's open. So I've run up the stairs. Venables is coming out. As he's coming out, I've gone crack. I caught with a peach punch. The best punch I've ever thrown in my life. I think I'm starting the side of the jaw. He's gone over. This is allegedly this bit. He's gone over. His head's been jumped on a few times. With someone with steel toe cap boots on, right? He's in a pool of blood on the floor. A few minutes after, the alarm bells went off. All the screws come running in. And I said to my mate Mark, I said, Mark, do me a favour. Go upstairs and see what he's like. So Mark went upstairs. He'd come back down. He was as white as that bit of paper. He said, Joe, he said, I've got some bad news. Allegedly, he said, I think he might fucking die. He's in the pool of blood. He's still on the floor five minutes later and he's just wobbling. He's massively wobbling. Got two days left. Same night. Same night. Mr. Come back to my cell door. Don't panic, Joey. But you've got a visit from the police. But don't panic, he said. What's going through your head at this point? I've got two days left. You think you're going to get life done? Yeah. Allegedly, you know what I mean? But police did come. CID, a woman. She had on a visit. I'm petrified now, Sean. I think I'm. That's it. It's game over. I've been through all that bollocks, and I've come out of it. And something so fucking silly like this paedophile is going to get me a life sentence. So CID come up, and she says, "Well, she said, what, Joe? She said, um, he's picked you out. She said, you're you're the only guy in this whole prison with a tattoo on your face." He's just come through reception. She said, you're the only one in here. What, what have you got to say? And I said, boy, this is what happened. I said, I'm a cleaner. The screws you, you we're on the cleaners. I'm, I am a reception cleaner. So when new arrivals come through, I'll give them their kit. I'll, I'll give them all their paperwork and say, right, you're going to be all right in here. Co coach them in. I said, when Venables, come through that reception, the first person they see was me because of my tattoo on my face. I said, now, nah, that's why he's saying it's me, yeah? I said, because he fucking, I'm the only one he's seen on reception. I said, so that's why he's picked me out. Anyway, a few minutes later, she's gone like that. She looked at me like that and she went, thank you very much, Joey. She said, it's going to be NFA. She said, have a, have a nice day. 
and enjoy enjoy your freedom when you get out tomorrow. Do you know what's, what I mean? What's NFA mean? No, no further action. So while she was going like that, reading the paperwork, she's got his name up, and I see it, John Venables. She's a woman. She's a CID. Who likes a fucking paedophile, Sean? NFA, I've got NFA. But after that, after that, Sean, I don't know what made me switch. Something in my head said, right, that's it. Enough. Enough's enough. You, you know what I mean? You, you're in your late 40s now. I'm now 53 coming up. If you don't turn it in now, that's it. You're going to spend the rest of your days in jail. Do you know what I mean? And, um, when I come out of that sentence, I, um, I met my sister's friend, Sam. She had problems with her exes. I thought, here we go again, driving up the road, you know what I mean? I said, you should say to Sam, I said, look, they're following me. And she used to say, don't get paranoid. There's no one following you, do you know what I mean? It's all in your imagination. One day, because I moved in with her, she had a flat. One day, we've gone back home. And I've been telling her, because I've, I've got a car that I drive, and I've been telling her, I said, I've been followed today, like always. No, you ain't. Anyway, as we pulled up outside the house, bang, car next door to me, free CID. CID, undone their window. Hello, Joe, you having a good day? You behaving yourself? So I knew I was under surveillance when I got out in 2007. Do you know what I mean, Sean? Um, and then I met Sam. Um, she had her problems. She was getting like bashed up by her ex fella. Um, I met him up in a town centre. He didn't want nothing to do with me. He knew I had a reputation. He knew who I was. He was aware of who I was. Do you know what I mean? And I, I told him straight. I said, "I'll tell you what. If you ever lay hand on my old woman again, I'll break your face in." Do you know what I mean? And I meant it. And then he left her alone. Um, so then she started to confide in me and started to trust me because she'd only been beat up all of her life by men. Man, pieces of shit. And, you know, we really got together. We moved out of London, moved up to Little Hampton, where my mum and dad moved two years ago, Sean. And that's when I, I published my book, written my first book. Um, we uh, we set up a charity. Um, we've got a GoFundMe page, um, Feeding the Homeless. So we go out of the night time when this COVID wasn't in. We go out and we search for homeless people, people with addictions, and we feed them soup, sandwiches, and we search all around the town centre for them. We video it. I put it on Facebook. All my videos are on there. I've got no end of charity people now, like getting in touch with me, asking me to like join their organisation, you know, because they can see I'm doing good things. Um, I'm just I've just got to a stage in my life where. I've had enough songs, do you know what I mean? I just, I've only got like 20 or 30 years left to live maximum. I'm happy, I'm settled. I'm the most content I've ever been in my life. Um, I've lost quite a few family members along the way, you know. Um, my uncle George and my mum's um, sister's husband's just passed away recently. Um, cousin Mark's passed away. My stepdad John's gone. My mum's gone. Um, but yeah, so that's it, Sean. I'm in Little Hampton at the minute. I'm settled down. I'm happy. And I'm trying to really make amends to what to what I've done. Do you know what I mean? All the damage what I caused people and all the misery what I put people through and 
it's, I just feel it's time now for me to give back to the community what I've taken out of it. And you can't do anything more than that. And the, mo the, mo the most I can do, the more I can do for the community and give back, I will. I don't get paid for what I'm doing. I'm doing everything voluntary, but I feel it's my, my right to do that. Do you know what I mean? And you became a peer mentor for young offenders. Yeah. Um, there's a firm in Worthing called CGL, uh, Change, Grow, Live. Um, they work for, they work with um, drug addicts and uh, drugs and alcohol. I went there for an interview um, and they took me straight on, um, put me on a course. I've done induction courses and other courses, um, completed them. So I've become a peer mentor, working with young offenders. Um, everything is going really nice now, Sean. For once in my life, I'm the most happiest I've ever been. That's good to this hear. This is the most happiest I've ever been in my life. And what made you want to write the book? What made me write it? To be honest, Sean, sorry, it's my phone. I tried to... Um, I tried to write it a few years ago whilst I was in jail, um, but I never ever got around to doing it. I probably filled like 100 pages up of an A3 pad, do you know what I mean? But where I was in prison, I never got around to doing it. Um, so why I've written it really, Sean, is um, for awareness and for, for the younger generation to read that book and not to follow my footsteps um, because crime is not glamorous. You always put that on silent because it's going to come through onto the... And like I said earlier, for everybody, if you go down the description box, we've got um, Joey's Soup Run, Facebook, YouTube pages, everything's down there if you want to support his work. Yeah, so where I'm at today, Sean, is we've got the COVID lockdown coming in. Um, obviously, we're not able to go out and feed the homeless at the minute because it's against the law and all that crap, do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, I just want to help people now and especially young offenders. Um, I've been approached by numerous people. Um, uh, I've been approached by a psychologist um, who's got a degree in criminology. Uh, they want to take me into young offenders' prisons on that platform to, as a motivational speaker. Um, so I've got that to, to look forward to. Um, I'm doing the PM mental work, working with alcohol and that. Um, I've got much much money around me, Sean, but what I've got is content and happiness. Did you say there's a GoFundMe page link? Yeah, yeah, we've got a GoFundMe page. We're on Facebook. Um, what we do is the money what comes in from that, I only set the goal for five hundred pound because that's all we wanted. Um, we needed to buy flasks. Um, out in my car right now. If you come out and have a look at my car, you'll see the back my boot. My car is full up with sleeping bags. So we went to Argos. I bought hundred sleeping bags, and we search the streets and we give the sleeping bags out to the homeless people um, with soups, sandwiches um, and things like that, you know. Um, so that's where I'm at today, Sean. Man, what an absolute journey you have took us on. So part one was already released then. How have the responses been to that? Unbelievable. Do you know what? I, I never, ever, ever in my wildest dreams thought and imagined that I would, I would inspire so many people. Um, the messages and the feedback what I'm getting is is so intent and so nice. It actually puts a lump in the back of my throat when I think about it. It makes me cry to know that I'm helping so many people and I'm, I'm inspiring so many people not to follow my footsteps, you know, um, as a deterrent. So... 
the feedback is unbelievable. The last time I checked, it was over 35,000 um, views on part one of our first. And it's show. only just gone up recently. It's only it's just gone, gone up. Yeah. I've up. got loads, loads more like for the future for Sean, you know. Um, so, yeah, um, this is why I've come onto your platform to obviously share my experience, to put awareness out, and to help anyone what can be helped and wants my help. There's no point of asking me for help if you can't help yourself. If you can't help yourself, then I can't help you. But the first thing to do is reach out and talk to me, and then, you know, we can sort things out and I can help you. Um, because obviously I've beat uh, drug addiction. I was addicted to drugs for a long, long time, you know. Um, and today I'm, I'm squeaky clean, completely clean. Congrats. I smoke a lot of cigarettes, but I'm clean. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, congratulations on that. Cheers, Sean. Yeah. And um, I was insp I'm, I'm inspired by your by your journey too, Sean. Like your book, I've, I'm reading your book. Fascinating story. Mm. Um, I think you uh, had a few close shaves, and if, if, <laughs> if, if it weren't for Wild Man, <laughs> rest in peace, he's, Wild Man. He's still watching over us. Oh, God, he'd be us. sitting there smiling. <laughs> he'd be sitting there smiling. But yeah. yeah. I'll, I'm inspired by people like you, you know, Sean um, Razor Smith, you know, is another inspiration. Um, Stevie Gillen, you know, Yami, hopefully he's got his book coming out. Um, I'm in the process of laying my second book down. So I'm 55,000 words wow. into my second book. Um, hopefully that'll be finished within a few weeks. Brilliant. The second book. Um as, as you know, the first one's on Amazon. But I haven't got no plans for the second one as yet. Um, so, yeah, it's all looking really good, Sean. That's what we want to hear. And you did just drop a hint then that you've got more stories yet to come. So people watching this, please let us know. Would you like to hear more stories from Joe? I think I already know the answer. So, huge thank you. Is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion to the viewers? Uh, just thank you very much for your feedback. Um, it's inspiring me. Um, it's making me continue my journey. Uh, when I wake up every morning, I check my phone. I see all the messages. I see the positive feedback. There's hardly no negative feedback. It's all positive. And that's what keeps me going. And that's what gives me the strength to carry on my journey, what I'm doing. And that's what, you know... Part of the mission of this channel is exactly that. Because when I got out of prison, I was on benefits for about five years. My YouTube channel was very small. And I couldn't get my writing published. And all these kind people who were more successful came into my life and helped me get, get that leg up to get to where everything is now. So part of the mission of this channel is, you know, getting the stories out there of people whose stories haven't been heard before, perhaps. You see a lot of these um, interviews with celebrities, but they've had quite boring lives. It's real people. Like, real stories. Real stories that this is our focus on this channel. And then you get this all, it's like a door into your world. And isn't it all the public then? You get all these messages and you get like opportunities that come oh, your God, way. I've got so many opportunities yeah. now that I never had years ago, Sean. Um, I couldn't even start to tell the amount of opportunities and, and things that I've got given to me now um, ever since that light switched in my head and I put my cards on the table and I said that's it enough's enough you've got to draw the line you've got to stop do you know what I mean so 
I don't know where I'm going to go from here, what journey. I know I'm on a lovely journey. I'm on a great journey. Do you know what I mean? I don't know where my journey is going to take me. But at the minute, I've got so many different opportunities being laid in front of me. I didn't have none of them before. When I was taking drugs, when I was a horrible person, no one wanted to be around me. No one wanted to be near me. I was a threat. I was a danger. Now, everyone wants me. Everyone wants a bit of me. They all want to hear my story. I'm inspiring so many people. It's a natural buzz. I'd, better than any drug. <laughs> I do have a final question. I imagine it's been on people's minds since part one. Is how did you do the tattoo? How did it come about? Right, it's a little bit of a story before we go. Yeah, go for it. Um, basically, when I, as I said to you, when I got out in 2006, 2007 on that long sentence, um, that wasn't enough for me. So I went straight back at it. I wasn't ready to stop. And um, I went into a tattoo shop and I said to the tattooist, change my appearance on purpose so that it would stop me from committing crime. <laughs> and that's the reason why I had it. Because now I know, with that tattoo on my face, I do regret it. I must admit, I do regret it. And I'd love to have it taken off. Um, I was a bit crazy when I had it. But it's a, the, flip, the other flip coin, the other side to that coin is, I know I can't go in and commit no more crimes. Because as soon as someone sees me, they're never going to forget me. So, really, that put the final nail in the coffin for me. Um, there is a little bit, a little bit more of a story to behind it. I had to change my appearance very quickly. Um, allegedly, I committed more robberies. Um, I got put on remand, and um, I couldn't get picked out on an ID parade because of, they couldn't pick no find no one else with a tattoo on their face. But that's allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's part three that's part three alright so huge thank you to everyone who's stuck with us for this six plus hour journey of parts one and parts two huge thank you for all your love and support and comments huge thank you to the new subscribers subscription logo is down here in the corner of the screen huge thank you to people who've gone into the description box and clicked on Joe's links and our links, our socials, our donation links, and big thanks as well to James and Joe for coming in and, and filming these and keeping it all going. All uh, right, give us a hug again. Thank you very much for letting yeah, me on yeah, your yeah, platform, yeah, Joe. Yeah. Cheers, man. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Well, well done. Thank you very yeah, much for allowing me on your platform to spread the word. Of course, yeah, anytime, anytime. Without, without this, you know, there's no awareness. So yeah. this, this for me is just awareness, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely.